did you see um, the picture of Trump? It's been circulating online. No, oh no. He looks like um, late stage David Bowie in The Hunger. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I worry, or like uh, David Lopan in uh, Big Trouble in Little China, when he's not in like his ceremonial, like the young ghost version of David Lopan, oh, but rather Jesus be like Christ. old man in the wheelchair version. Oh no, the bad Lopan. Yeah, he's melting. Uh, he's like, yeah, yeah he, he has one of those Rise of Skywalker, uh, like, life support, like, claws or whatever. Like, and if you, you did probably, uh, you did yourself a favor. You never watched Rise of Skywalker. And in that movie. Oh, no. it's, yeah, don't. You're great. You're, it's bad. It's poison. Get the hell up, Skywalker. Get out of here. <laughs> wake me up when Skywalker ends. Well, uh, no, wake up, Force. That was, that was the first one. <laughs> wake up, Force. Wake, wake the hell up, Force. Come on, Force, wake up! Um, um, but uh, yeah. he's like, yeah, but Palpatine's like in a, uh, he has like a, he's like a on a giant claw or like a giant oh, like, like, like it's like, I don't even know. It's so weird, and he's just kind of like suspended in the air on this weird claw thing, and it's like keeping him alive, I guess. And so I just imagine Trump has one. They're of those. gonna be bringing him out like Paul Rubens in uh, Thirty Rock, though. <laughs> you know, that's that's where this is all. This is where this is all going. <laughs> oh man, he I I could totally see Trump being uh, distantly related to a Habsburg. He's yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Got, I mean, he's the American. He's an American Habsburg. He's certainly. got Habsburg jowls. Yeah, but yeah. There's like yeah, I could picture him like getting like carried on stage by his two boys. <laughs> Stood up, he goes, "I walked out here like a pro. Yeah, I'm one of the greatest walkers." <laughs> Like lines, like right after visually, that he's like getting carried. He has puppet legs. It's like Bill Belichick called me. He asked if I wanted to play linebacker for the Patriots. I said no, Bill. Bill, you've got good players. <laughs> oh God, such a, he. Oh, he's he's the worst. But jokerifying. Yeah, just he's jokerified us all. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day. Oh God. Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. And I'm Patrick Gremion. Welcome to The Academy. Talk to me, Patrick. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, first, I'm not Patrick. I have a code name. Oh, call, okay, yes. Call, what is your call sign? Yeah, my call sign? Jingle. Jingle. <laughs> I, I watch. I get all the other guys to watch Jingle all the way. I force them to watch it. That's like they're hazing. Oh, God. <laughs> like help me Jingle. My 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 helmet simply says wet blanket. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Oh no! <laughs> I'm the guy in the meetings. He's like, I don't know, guys. This is a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> come on, wet. Yeah, I know. Come on, wet. Yeah. <laughs> Ice Man just is staring me. Like just staring daggers at me. <laughs> wet, uh, uh, wet. Come on, wet. <laughs> I like that they call Hollywood wood. I oh think that God. that's pretty awesome. That rules. Like, yeah, it's like not only does he have a nickname, he has a nickname on top of a nickname. That's <laughs> yeah. um only in this world. <laughs> yeah, he has a micro nickname. Dudes being dudes. Yeah, of course we're talking about our two dudes this week, Ridley and Tony Scott. And while last week. We were introducing them. They were kind of stepping up to the T-ball plate of making films. This week, 
they've entered the big leagues. Oh boy. <laughs> um, um two blockbusters with their second films. Two of the biggest films, two of the continue continue to be biggest films one could imagine. Yeah. A, one of which spawned the biggest movie that came out this year thus far. <laughs> which is uh, wild, but then, and I'll be real, uh, one of these films, I watched it for the first time, the one that had the sequel, and I, watching it now, I, I, I get it. I'm like, okay, I can see how a movie like this could spot a sequel in 2022 that grosses over a billion dollars. Insane. <laughs> With a um, ageless sixty-year-old star. God, yeah, he, he got he has the hunger gene. He he's definitely hungering with someone. He's he's um he's got the Fury Road blood bags attached oh, yeah. to his car without yes. without question, right? <laughs> yes, Tom. Yes, Tom Hardy glued to the top of yeah. his fucking Miata. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As he's sitting in the Home Depot on Sunset parking lot trying to read minds. Yeah, he's like, please let me start. I'm supposed to be at the set of Warrior 2. I read that in that um, Going Clear book, that that is where Tom Cruise was, like, training for mind reading, was the Home Depot on Sunset. Jesus Christ, that's weird. Yeah, like, sitting in his car just staring at people. It is, like, the the Scientology building is easily the most ominous building in Los Angeles, which is, like, a crazy feat. Like, so many ominous buildings. That one's the most scary. So many ominous buildings, like, on Sunset in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's in the top ten. If, like, you know, BuzzFeed had a top ten most ominous streets in America, I'd say Sunset's probably, or Hollywood is probably number, like, Or L. Ron Hubbard Drive, the the little side street they bought that you you have to drive down if you're going to the Wendy's. On Hillhurst. Oh God! Oh, no, many... no, no, is it Hillhurst? No, it's on uh, Vermont. Yeah, it's, it's on Vermont. On Vermont. Uh... You got to go around the block to get back up to Los Feliz. Yeah, got to go down Elron Hubbard. That's a little <laughs> California trip for y'all. Yeah, <laughs> if you need that baconator so bad, you're gonna I know. have to. <laughs> it's like I want to go to Wendy's really, really bad, <laughs> but I'm gonna have to drive very close to the Church of Scientology to do so. <laughs> I am afraid of being haunted by the ghost of Elron Hubbard. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, he's on some boat somewhere. Oh, yeah. Speaking of being drug around in a while, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. they thought about that. Oh, yeah, he's definitely, like, they, they have him up like Lennon somewhere. They have yeah. him all gussied. <laughs> yeah, Tom Cruise's house, maybe. But anyway, <laughs> we're, of course, talking about Ridley Scott's film, Alien, and Tony Scott's film, Top Gun. We got a lot to get into. Oh, God, these are such big movies. These are huge movies. We hope to provide you all with a few fun facts that you have not heard about <laughs> these two. We'll see if that's even possible. Yeah, we found some weird stuff. I'm excited. Turns out that these two movies have uh, been discussed. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Times. It's hard, but like we're we're trying, damn it. Yeah, but the interesting thing is that despite, you know, we praised them both last week, The Duelist and The Hunger were both considered box office disappointments. Mm. And the Scott brothers kind of went back to making commercials in the hopes that they were going to make films. Everyone kind of who saw their commercial work and saw their first two films knew like, okay, these guys have got it. Yeah. It's just kind of about finding material that these two guys could make sing and so ridley because we're a little bit ahead in time as patrick mentioned last week 
threw himself into a adaptation of Tristan and Isolde, mm. which is um, all things considered a very Ridley choice. If you yeah. ask me, um, I wonder if that's like that must that's like the is that uh, Wack Wagner. Um, or is that just like the OG like story that well, there's Wagner like derived a, there's that There's like from? an original medieval story, and yes, okay. then Wagner um, did the opera. Gotcha, gotcha, and gotcha. Then they made like a version of it, like in the early 2000s with James Franco. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wanna... Try, trying to figure out what to do with James Franco. I think they're still everyone's still trying to figure out, but for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to get him away from directing. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus Christ, and, and letting him get anywhere near like. High end literature. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep Faulkner safe, folks. Keep, keep Faulkner safe. This guy is not the guy for this job. <laughs> no, yeah, we don't need fucking half of the Pineapple Express making a <laughs> uh, yeah, sound of the fury. Come on, man. <laughs> like, so Ridley was work. Week. Ridley was working on that. He was trying to pull it together, and then of course he's in Hollywood and. He sees Star Wars. Mm. He sees Star Wars three times that week. He's Jesus. mesmerized by Star Wars. Mm. And what he decides is that a large-scale effects-driven film is probably the way of the future. <laughs> Smart, really. <laughs> um, you know? yes. Brain boy. Uh, yeah, big brain on him. So, But what <laughs> he does is that he finds a way to fuse... The chilly intellectualism of 2001 A Space Odyssey with the thrilling, fun times of Star Wars. And of Mm. course, that is with his film 1979's Alien. Mm. Now, a little backstory on Alien. Um, If you listened, and you should, to the Video Archives podcast the last two weeks. This is Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery's new podcast. The first film they covered was John Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon's film Dark Star. Dark Star is about an alien being entering a spaceship unannounced and causing chaos and terror among its crew. Oh, wow. Dan O'Bannon has been, was very open in saying that Dark Star is a comedic warm-up for the dark terrors of alien it's like the evil dead uh, yeah exactly well, evil, evil dead, dead yes yeah and just like evil dead and evil dead 2 both dark star and alien are worth watching <laughs> and then listen to the video archives podcast because tarantino and avery really break it down in a very fun way but dan o'bannon and his co-writer ronald shuset began working in earnest on this screenplay they got it out in the world, and somehow it got in the hands of all-star screenwriters David Geiler and Walter Hill. Oh, wow. Um, and we've discussed Walter Hill ad nauseum on the show. He will come up again, yeah. I'm sure. He's like <laughs> a the... perennial return, re- recurring character. He is a recurring character on the show. Um, David, um, David Geiler was a writer uh probably uh he co-wrote uh, undisputed <laughs> because he worked with walter hill until his passing in 2020 at the age of 77 oh wow uh but probably best known he wrote the parallax view 
Oh dog. my god! Just um, saw that film recently. Uh, one of the that's a, I love that movie. Yes, a absolutely terrific picture. Also, a great like example of a movie where you think like you think that the 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 scriptwriters think that the main character is a suave, cool dude, and then at the end of the movie you realize, oh, the scriptwriters think the character's a ding dog, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he well, is the, a ding dog. This is always the best thing in these movies, though, because like Beatty's like. You know, to get on a tangent on this film, the great thing is Beatty, because he's so confident, thinks he's got it under control and that he's like going to make it the entire way through that movie. And then it's only at the very last moment he realizes it's so much bigger than him and he is fucked. And that, my friends, is a movie. I want to see every version of that movie because I, I wanna... love the confident guy who... Who does not? And he's a good guy. There's nothing no, really nice. wrong with. Him. He's a good guy. Yeah, you know? means well. Yes, but he's so confident that he it's just gonna work out for him. And then, oh, it was. What's well, like um, you know, it's like Brad Pitt finding the damn head in the box. In yeah, seven. it's like no, it's way worse. It's uh, way worse than you ever could have. And it has to be a guy like Beatty or Robert Redford. Or Brad Pitt, some guy who's a hunk. Yeah, the hunkiest of the hunk is like the guy Kurt who Kurt Russell. Yeah, yeah. Well, like even at the end of Vanilla Sky, when Kurt Russell's like, "I'm real, I'm real," and you're like, "No, you're not," and he's like, <laughs> and he crumbles because it's like that's like the thing about like confident guys is that they are so they don't think they they're not full of self doubt like no. you and I are, Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> they're not the shame boys. <laughs> no, they're the confidence boys. <laughs> and then when you walk in, it's like, I'm going to solve this political assassination. Not only are you going to solve it, but you're going to lose. And you're going to be blamed for the whole thing. <laughs> yes. You're going to be labeled a, a crazy individual. Yeah, it's terrific. So, David Geiler and Walter Hill, two mm-hmm. like pros, pro screenwriters. Yes. They're handed the script. Walter Hill brings it to Geiler and goes, I read it. I think it kind of stinks. But there is one moment in the movie that is worth exploring to see if we can't make this happen. And you out there in listener land, if you have seen Alien, what moment would you guess is the one Walter Hill was talking about? (laughs) Does it involve a supposedly celebratory lunch? That takes a gruesome turn. You better believe it. Yeah. Yes, that was not exactly, what he's having. Yes, that was exactly what he read. He was like, "This kicks ass." So Walter Hill did a rewrite, and Walter Hill, um, I got I got first hip to this a few years ago because Edgar Wright was talking about it when he did Baby Driver. If mm. Walter Hill's screenplay for Alien, it's online. You can download the PDF. I highly recommend it. Is the most terse like one word for everything mm-hmm. script I've ever read. He, there's, It's so economic. They're like, they get up. They have lunch. Ripley. Tough. Dallas. Impotent. Like, just like one word, like, it does, and and everyone's genderless. Perfect. Wow. And so that left it wide open for casting. Mm-hmm. And then they were the ones who decided Ripley had to be a woman. They thought it was Scott and Hill and Geiler were like, that would be so interesting. 
that's mm. like unexpected because you think and when we were watching it even the other night jen was like tom scarrett got top billing and i was like yeah he's he's the first name in the cast wow and so you think you know tom scares the handsome middle-aged movie star guy yeah so you think he's the hero mm-hmm. of the show but it's you know, it, it, as Sigourney Weaver slowly establishes herself throughout the film, you're like, no, it's her. So the interesting thing is they, Scott, like, went into a full force. They got it there. They kept that centerpiece scene. Meanwhile, Alejandro Jodorowsky and is making his folly attempt at Dune. Ooh. Dune, of course, if you've seen Jodorowsky's Dune, the documentary, and you should, it's absolutely terrific Mm. he has this grand almost unfilmable vision of dune which kind of got in everyone's head up until the new version of dune (laughs) because it was like between that and lynch is kind of like strange not all the way there everyone was like it's impossible but it turns out when you have 200 million dollars and the entire warner brothers system behind you um and every major actor wanting to be a part of it Mm -hmm. You can, Dennis Dennis, uh, Villanueva, (laughs) Denny Villanueva, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Uh, Villanelle. (laughs) You know, and he he made Blade Runner 2049, which will come up perhaps next week. (laughs) Uh (laughs) We may have a talk about that. And he definitely sees himself as an heir apparent to Ridley Scott in particular. Like Ridley Scott is clearly Danny Villanueva's dude. Yeah, that's fair. I can see that. But anyway. So Jordorowski's Dune, Jordorowski brought in some of the trippiest artists across the world to be a mm-hmm. part of the planning stages. This includes cartoonist Ron Cobb, Dan O'Bannon of Dark Star and First Draft of Alien fame, Ooh. who also did all the visual effects in Dark Star. So he got brought in. The comic book um, artist Mobius. So is, good. Is in the mix. By the way, yeah, uh, read uh, the Incall by Yodorowsky and Mobius. Probably the best comic book series ever made. <laughs> and, of course, H.R. Giger Ooh. is also in the mix. So, like, this globe-trotting group of psychedelic crazed artists are all on... Oh, and um, Salvador Dali was going to be in it. Jesus <laughs> like, Christ. So, among others. Mick it. Jagger was going to be in it. I mean, like, you know... Yeah, I remember like, Orson Welles, too, right? Yeah. Uh. yeah, and so then it falls apart because it's just... it's. He flew too close to the sun. It's just too great of a dream that he tried to accomplish there. So, as they're preparing for really Scott's Alien, they bring Dan O'Bannon back in as a visual effects consultant. He's in the end credits as well as getting a screenwriting credit. Mm -hmm. Dan O'Bannon, they're trying to figure out a way to design it, to make it scary. Ridley's very concerned it's going to be a B-movie. Like a, you know, just traditional like horror movie which we'd probably still love but it probably wouldn't mm-hmm. hold the place it does yeah because yeah. of that yeah you can see the guy who directed the duelists wanting the movie to be more than like you know a drive-in feature yeah and i think that kind of crosses over to the next film with his brother too uh, but we'll get there in a moment um so anyway he's trying to figure out because like spielberg he's like showing the damn shark showing the alien it gets like you get exposed when you do that and like what's it supposed to look like how is it supposed to be scary so 
Dan O'Bannon shows up on set and he shows Ridley Scott a book of H.R. Giger's work. And Ridley Scott's like, that's it. Mm. That's our guy. Mm. Get him. The suits at 20th Century Fox were a bit concerned about H.R. Giger. Um, I can see that. With his freaky ass stuff. And (laughs) but they brought him in and you know, the rest is history on the design standpoint. In terms of casting, they wanted to go with like, I mean, this cast is rocks. Yeah, the aforementioned Tom Skerritt, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm, and Yafet Kodo kind of are our core team, mm-hmm. of our core crew. So, and of course, Sigourney Weaver. This was Sigourney Weaver's breakthrough movie. Mm-hmm. She's done a handful of minor things before this. Uh, you all might remember from our Meryl Streep season, she graduated the year before. Meryl Streep at the Yale School of Drama, and she was the hot shot before Streep got there. Interesting. And um, her wow. father also created the Today Show. Interesting. A little. So oh, she came from, came from a bit of moolah. We'll go to Norris. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but it turned out that Ridley Scott, in his attempt to, because he wanted someone who was both attractive, muscular, mm and intelligent to play ripley it he narrowed it down to two actresses and could you guess who the other one was no oh man they went to meryl street for it oh damn, and she turned damn. them down on the spot dude because you know what i was thinking about this she is a fun person but she has a very very narrow vision of fun yeah that's like, true yeah, she, true. she probably thought this was like a little classy, like not classy enough. Yeah, like the as, as she only goes as far as River Wild. That's as like adventurous as she'll get. Yeah, and it's like, man, you kicked ass in this movie. Man. Not, was... no offense. This is, I mean, this made Sigourney and you know turned her into a mega star. So yeah, you know, I mean, like I'm sure Sigourney Weaver's like, thank you, Meryl, for turning that down. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Although Meryl would have crushed it. Genuinely yeah. would be good. I yeah. think, like, oh, I mean, man. I think the movie would be held. It would probably hold the same esteem that it does. If I think, you know, yeah, I think it's like it's it's one of the few like uh, casting where like yeah, because I I think Sigourney made that role iconic. It's pretty. And the thing they liked about her, which is a little different from Meryl Streep, is Sigourney Weaver's like six foot two in heels. Oh wow! And and you could see it, so, which yeah. makes her really physically imposing. Yeah, she's like much taller than Ian Holm. Yeah. 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 So you feel like she can handle herself mm. when she's alone with the alien and that yeah, kind of thing. That's fair. So they got to work on set. Uh very tough, arduous shoot all around. Uh this was the first movie that, you know, the actors were all pros, they're fine, but they all kind of did point out that Ridley was there was some concern that he was a little more interested in like the gear than them. <laughs> which this is going to be a running uh, theme for Ridley Scott and I think he freely admits to it that the acting part is kind of the more difficult more alien for lack of a better word thing for him mm. um, the film though had a they did a test screening in Texas Ridley went to it and they were they were very nervous and especially because you know, the first 45 minutes, the entire thing, first 45 minutes is like laying the like groundwork 
for this one showstopper scene that I think you all know what we're talking about. <laughs> and, um, and in essence, he um, so he's waiting there, and then when it happened, the first two rows in the theater like ran off. They were so fucking freaked out, and all I could do was think about how much I wish I'd seen this movie in 1979 without knowing anything about it. Yeah. I mean, because my dad told me about the chestburster scene, like when I was a kid before I saw this movie. Like I I saw Spaceballs a billion times. Yeah. Before us. And so like, yeah, it, it, it is such a bummer that so many incredible films are kind of just effectively ruined for you by the age of like seven. Like if you're like a kid who like watches like, you know, just watches cartoons or is like, you know, kind of semi-fluent in pop culture. Like you're going to have like Citizen Bugs, Kane. Bugs yeah. Bunny has done something that is basically a parody of this yeah, thing. Like, you know, Casablanca or Citizen Kane. You know, you probably know what it's going to happen. Yeah. So plot wise, for those of you who don't know, we are on board the alien spaceship Nostromo. Or the, the commercial space tug, Nostromo. Nostromo, of course, named after the Joseph Conrad novel, Nostromo. Joseph Conrad also wrote the short story, The Duel, mm-hmm. uh, from The Duelists. Yeah. Hangs over it all. Um, there's also a really good doc out there. So David Lean, in his older age, his dream project was to adapt the novel, Nostromo. Steven Spielberg was going to produce it. They were going to make it in, like, 1989. Man. And they were like two weeks away from production and David Lean died. But it was like another one of those like pushing the boat over a mountain kind yeah. of films. Anyway, it's it that's an interesting side story. We are we catch up with the working class crew of the Nostromo. Um Tom Skerritt is Dallas, the captain of the ship. Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver, is the warrant officer. Veronica Cart Cartwright is Lambert the navigator. Harry Dean Stanton is Brett, the engineering technician. John Hurt is Kane, executive officer. Ian Holm is Ash, science officer. Yafet Koto is Parker, chief engineer. That's our team. What I love, and everyone talks about this when it comes to Alien, one of the, like, the highlights of this movie is the hangout value of the first half hour of the film. They wake up, and then they have breakfast. They smoke cigarettes. They talk about their wages. And and you're just like kind of get to know these faces and these folks. And it's great. And every time, like every horror script or sci-fi script I've ever read from a friend Mm -hmm. or something like that, this scene, is this opening is referenced in notes. Because it's like, how do you lay the groundwork for characters you like that will probably be picked off one by one in the second half of the movie? And what's incredible is like, yeah, there's like, not only do you get like a a nice glimpse into these characters, it's there's like this, there's an economy to it. Like, yeah. there's never you never feel like there's expository dialogue. That, You're never... is, so that was something that was really attractive to Ridley Scott in the script. Yeah. You just like, and I think part of it too is you have to cast the right people. Mm-hmm. And if you cast like a Harry Dean Stanton and then provide like a few indicators to where his character may be from and is going, like that's all you need. Like he he, he will take it from there. 
Yeah, he's fleshed out. Like, yeah. you, it's like, okay, this guy's kind of like a space trucker. I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and this is that's another concept that uh, Dan O'Bannon kind of came up with in Dark Star that they took to the next level in Alien is kind of the what is it what is the working class of space look like because like yeah and tarantino put it he's like not everybody's on the fucking enterprise no <laughs> you know some people have to like empty the enterprise's toilets yeah. <laughs> and dan o'bannon like got that that was like a and then it like converted to you know ridley scott's world and you know now that i think about it too Really, Scott coming from a background with his father being in the Merchant Marines and his brother, you know, they could have yeah. been on the Nostromo if they were in the future, you know? <laughs> God, there is, like, yeah, there is, like, such a, um, like, Moby Dick-esque quality, like a Herman Melville quality to it, too, where, like, yeah, it is just you have all these disparate people drawn together because they need the cash. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's well, wages of fear, or sorcerer even. Yeah, that's too. a great. Oh my god, yeah. uh, man, that's what a good. Yeah, hundred percent. Roy Scheider would have been great as a captain too. As oh, for sure. But and anyway, but no, no shade to Tom Scared. He rules. Yeah, um, he's one of, the, one of the best to do it. But yeah. um, so they get. Turns out though, they thought they were at Earth, but they've been woken up early. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Why the hell were we woken up early?" Well, it turns out they want them to explore this planet where there was like a transmission that was found mm. and so they're gonna stop there harry dean and yafet koto are immediately like we get full wages for that which is great <laughs> so good um they go down on the planet and i was reading about it It was very interesting so the movie opens when they wake up and john hurt is the first person up mm-hmm. then he's the first person to volunteer to go down to the planet yeah and he volunteer he's the first they make it very clear he's the first through all of this first 45 minutes he declares like I'll do it I'll do it I'll go first I'll do this I'll do that so when they go down there they got exploring and all of the great H.R. Giger and the rest of the, their design team's um, imagery is just like just so awe-inspiring and you're like wow man how do they how do they do this like yeah. these sets oh, must have been like the size of football fields <laughs> And John Hurt is investigating, and um, he comes across. I mean, this is like the funny thing when you've seen all these alien films. Like when he comes across it, you're like, "Oh, I know what this is," <laughs> you know. And he comes across an egg. It's goopy on the inside. It's moving around. Don't touch that goop. Don't touch the goop, man. <laughs> but of course, Kane gets like blasted in the yep. face with it with the um now known as the what is the face face hugger face hugger yeah and um they bring him back they're freaking out and the only person who actually has a good idea about things is ripley who's like yeah don't let him on board (laughs) like we gotta quarantine him like we're all gonna get screwed yeah let him on board but then like dallas who's like dallas is a very surface level guy yeah you know he doesn't think he's not the deepest thinker He's flapsian. Yeah, he's flapsian. And and then, you know, Lambert is very emotional. Yeah. And like lets that kind of overtake her. Ripley's like and then but all of a sudden it's Ash who just like supersedes her and opens the door. Uh, all of this is a really terrific setup. Yep. Both for all of the characters kind of like 
core values, I guess would be a way of putting it. Hmm. Like Ripley's unbreakable. She's unflappable. Uh, she's the opposite of a flaps. She's oh. unflappable. <laughs> she's, an un she's anti flaps. She's anti flaps. And but they bring um Kane back on board. They try and cut the thing off. The thing bleeds acid and it almost goes through the hole. This should be an indication that this is not good yeah. in this at all. Chop off Kane. R.I.P. to Kane. Yeah, it's like, sorry, brother. You were nice. You were yeah. a real one, but uh, <laughs> adios, muchacho. It's just like, one thing I was thinking about, too, is like, in any other movie, Dallas would be portrayed as the hero for not yeah. leaving a man behind. Exactly, but he's portrayed yeah. as being kind of dumb. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, I and we'll talk about it in like a month or two, but um, Billy Crudup in Alien Covenant is Dallas again. Oh, We'll talk about it then, but yeah. I was just thinking about it because I, you know, we'll we'll get to that movie again. I need to rewatch I, that. I, 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 well, we will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's true. Soon enough. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so then they're like trying to figure out what to do. There's all sorts of suspicions. Ash is very shifty. Mm. I'd say. And then they're like, come down to the med bay. John hurts up. He's grooving. The things run away. Yeah, John Hurt's doing the uh, like, risky man, business. Great. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's wearing this weird underwear. Oh I my know god, if he caught I, his underwear. I wrote Mormon underwear. Yeah, he's got like space Mormon underwear. Um, <laughs> they're space Mormons. It's it doesn't look. It's not. Um, it's unappealing. It's unappealing. It's not um, very uh, flattering. And probably not comfortable. <laughs> Looks like a diaper, kind of. <laughs> Even for a guy, he's not a big guy, so it's not like he's getting stretched out by the thing. But yeah, just yeah. like there's, looks like um, a lame professional wrestling singlet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a, like a weird parody of a sumo wrestler. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, um, like, man. And Ripley's still like, I don't know, man, this is weird. But everyone else is like, back to normal. Let's go to Earth. Yeah, I can't wait fun. to, and they're having this chat at, they're like, man, I cannot wait for some real food, and then all of a sudden John Hurt starts going, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he's like, eh, eh. he throws himself down on the table, and the thing I noticed this time around, Tom Skerritt's face, his entire performance in this movie is based on this one moment where he, when he sees what happens, and he is so out of his league, Dallas, oh and he's just like, He's like speechless. He can't, like he's not a cat. He's like not the leader captain. He's just like Jesus. What did I just see? So as we all know, um, basically the thing on the face impregnated, um, John Hurd. Yeah. And this is the film that inspired Junior. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, absolutely. Uh, got the alien now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like Danny DeVito's Ash. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Gotta make that money. That moolah. Yeah. You know, it's, it is very funny that Danny DeVito, despite playing a variety of roles throughout his career, everyone just kind of thinks he's Frank Reynolds at this point. <laughs> yeah, he's played normal people. Yeah, he's he is been... he not, not always been a degenerate on screen. <laughs> yeah, he's not like, yeah, because everyone just assumes he's either Frank Reynolds or Penguin in Batman Returns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's not. He's actually seems like a very cool leftist, yeah, like fun guy who just like you know. 
seems like a normal guy. Yeah, he he seems like a really sweet guy who loves those those guys on Sunny Philadelphia like they're his own sons. Oh yeah, and it's beautiful. But anyway, John Hurt throws himself down on the damn cafeteria table, <laughs> and an alien explodes out of his chest, and gore goes everywhere. So good. Ridley did not tell the cast just how gory it was going to be, and like I. Veronica Cartwright apparently said later on, she goes, when I saw the rest of like the crew and the camera guys all wearing like rain slickers, I should have had some indication about where things are going. But he did it because he wanted like a genuine like stunner of a moment. And he gets it. I mean, everybody's reaction is like the best part, like from John Hurt onward. And it just explodes out of him. This gross alien like flies out and escapes into the ship. And folks, next forty-five minutes we are on, <laughs> like you know, yeah. And things things do not go well for the yeah. crew of the Nostromo. Um, it becomes a straight-up horror movie from that point on. And I'm not gonna, you know what? Everybody has probably seen it, and everyone has certainly heard of that um, chest burster scene. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm gonna tell you about the rest of the movie though. Yeah, we know where we're going. For the folks who have not seen it, take a look at it. And it, it's a, it's a certified slapper. Yeah, it remains a certified slapper. I think Jaws is like only comparable film to it. Yeah, it, I think it's it, one of the, yeah. And they work for it in a lot of the same ways. I'm sure, as much as Ridley Scott was talking about 2001 and Star Wars. He was very familiar with Jaws and very familiar with what was successful about Jaws. The movie, get this, man, open it, first ever public screening that wasn't a test screening was uh, opening night of the Seattle International Film Festival presented at 70 millimeter at midnight, May wow. 25th, 1979. Uh, went into wide release on June 22nd and then in the UK, September 6th. Um, the film was budgeted at eleven million dollars. Mm. Not a, not a lot for how extraordinary, um, what they got out of it. Made hundred and six point three million in nineteen seventy nine bucks. Ooh. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. We got ourselves a blockbuster. Interesting thing about the film is that oh, we should mention um some of the crew too beyond that who are noteworthy beyond the many crew members we actually already mentioned uh derek van lint cinematographer does a phenomenal job of uh you know i think he i believe he was a um commercial colleague Mm -hmm. of of ridley scott's both 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 tony and ridley um worked with a lot of these cinematographers on their commercials and then brought them over to features with them. Yeah, so much of the mood and tone of this film comes from the cinematography, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And, like, it's... There's just, like... Why I like this movie, I think, more than Aliens, is there really is this sense of... Uh, you're in the middle of nowhere. You're a speck in the void. The world is... The universe is bigger than anything you can comprehend. I think, and, like... Yeah. Yeah, Aliens is such a, like, brilliant muscular deathly entertaining movie yeah but it does not have um these heavier themes 
Yeah. That alien does. And also, like, I think it depends on, too, if, like, what do you find more satisfying, an action movie or a horror movie? Mm, that's fair. They're both awesome. I love them both. I, oh, yeah. You know, I'm a fan of both genres completely. But, I mean, I like the horror element. I like, you know, I mean, it's hard to even match up. Both casts are amazing. I don't even want to compare. They're great. No, they're movies. both great. Yeah. No, no. And I actually intense. like, I mean, I like, I'm a fan of this entire series. And we will get into it when we talk Prometheus and Covenant a little bit more about where the series went. I will say I, I'm a huge fan. Like when I was uh, when I had my bar mitzvah, when I turned uh, 13, uh, I used my bar mitzvah money to get the Alien Quadrilogy. It was and it's my... great. That's a still remains a top of the top Blu-ray set. Easily the best. Uh, easily the best. Uh, I had it was a DVD set at the time, uh, yeah, but it was the time. A, at the time. Now it's a stack with features. Oh, they're so good. I love. Yeah. I love God. I need to get back into like collecting Blu-rays because I miss like listening to directors talk about movies while the movies are playing. And we mentioned it last week. The Scott brothers are so generous. Yeah. When it comes to commentaries and bonus features and opening it up, and oh, I should mention too, um, this movie uh, we didn't we talked about Ridley's uh, storyboarding last mm-hmm. week. Um, did, did you know his storyboards have a name? No. They're called Ridleygrams. That's cool. I like that. And I that. believe it was on this film that that was kind of that term was coined. We also need to mention the music in this film by Jerry Goldsmith, one of the best composers to do it, and this is one of his best scores. The it is it's never obtrusive, but it's beautiful, it's ominous. It it really works. It's like one of those scores too where like you always kind of forget about it and it kind of gets like lost when you think of all the great movie scores the iconic scores you know everyone always thinks of like you know the john williams uh star wars or, or, jaws. The, or jaws yeah, yeah. any of his, those john williams joints. His, yeah yeah or like even um you know like one of the, the more recent Hans zimmer ones the mm-hmm. you know the guy we'll be talking about uh sometime in the future harold uh What's his Falter, surname? Faltermeyer. Faltermeyer, yeah. It's a hard one to pronounce. Uh, who, uh, but... An absolute 80s king. Oh, we'll totally. get to it in just a moment. But, like, Jerry Goldsmith, um, you know, so many good scores. He uh, worked with Joe Dante on almost all of Joe's movies. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, Chinatown is another great Jerry Goldsmith score. Planet of the Apes, L.A. Confidential, Total Recall. <sighs> um. There's like even like playful moments in the score or like moments that feel like like he makes that one scene where the ship is slowly like kind of like departing and landing on the planet. He makes it feel like ballet, like you're watching well, like an intricate like dance. <laughs> the really Scott Alien ones, this one and then the Prometheus and Covenant, there's this sense of awe that the music kind of hits on. Yeah, that it's like it's the and that's why like. You want to walk toward it, despite the fact all like notions inside of you say otherwise. And it's just sense because it's like with the um, and I, I love again. I, I want to talk about him now, but I, I'm fascinated, and I think it's one of the most one of the most interesting characters of recent years is Michael Fassbender's David in the oh. um, Prometheus and Covenant, and this idea of this like trying to control the origin of the species and <laughs> that kind of like, like, you know, yeah. and like playing God at like all of these aspects. And like in this film, I won't say who, but this concept of there's a thing like element to this movie about one of these people isn't who they think, who they say they are. Oh man. And 
what a nice what a nice touch and reveal that is yeah and, in some ways it he... kind of starts it it's like trying it's so funny like jim cameron his idea was like no they're gonna be a loyal f- robots are your loyal friend yeah and really scott's cool. is like no they are insidious and they they're... might lead to our complete utter destruction they're the fucking baddie dog <laughs> yeah they're the actual bad. and corporations and them are bad but i think Jim Cameron agrees with Ridley that corporations are bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, not that Ridley's ever had a problem selling shit for them. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But the uh, movie um did not get really the initial uh critical reception was mixed. Huh. Which is <sighs> wild. Yeah. Like I mean, and I think it's kind of one of these like I think there's an elitist quality, but when something is done, and I think it's also like maybe we've got retrospect of looking back on thousands of bad versions of this movie. Mm. Um, and then really Scott didn't have his reputation. Yeah, that's in, true. In 79. Yeah. Um, both uh, Siskel and Ebert uh, gave it, get this, this movie came out before the thumbs. Pre-thumb. So they gave it two yes votes. <laughs> That should, be, not... that should be the new, uh, forget BC and AD. Yeah, pre-thumbs. <laughs> and AT, after-thumbs. Uh, yeah, and it's... Uh... Yeah, and Sis- Siskel did not like the final shape of the alien creature. Oh, come on. Um, what a dumb... Reviews by Variety, Sight and Sound, Vincent Camby, and Leonard Malton were mixed to negative. Uh, I mean, Leonard I can Mal- see Leonard. Leonard. Leonard Malton has since reassessed... Really? Yeah, he is reassessed, and okay. he gave a, he, it has a positive review in his book. And it's, I think it's just there is an elitism toward genre mm-hmm. cinema. There always has been. It's just kind of the, you know, just like just like comedy films don't get nominated for awards, right? Horror movies and sci-fi movies generally don't. I think I think there's also like something to be said about maybe this movie might have been like ahead of its t- like I feel like there are occasionally films that are like released like 5 years too early mm-hmm. and just like it takes a while to- for people to realize and get hip to what uh Ridley was peddling. I think there's also general prudishness mm. when um cuz this movie is violent. It's it mean. Is, it's mean and scary and violent. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mean fucking film. Yeah. yeah the, the chestburster scene to this day, I mean, I, I watched it last night. Um that shit lives up to the hype. Oh, for real. It's That's still a, good. It still is a absolute like it's a shower scene in uh, Psycho. It's that yeah. it's I mean it's the same level of oh. that of just like a stunner of a scary sequence it's like one of these it's like one of these movies that's it's timeless it's a rare the rare timeless movie it's like every time i watch texas chainsaw massacre and they first go into that house and it's quiet 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 and then the door flies open and leatherface is standing there and he just grabs her and pulls her into the room and the door slams shut you're still like oh my god (laughs) you know what it's like awful (laughs) but do i want to watch this movie again Absolutely, I want to watch this movie. Yeah. Again. Um, new movie was nominated for uh, two Academy Awards. Patrick, oh, interesting. Two. It won for best visual effects. Good. I don't think that's a big surprise. Yeah, and it was nominated for best art direction. Which I wonder who uh, who won nineteen eighties art direction. <laughs> it's probably fucking I don't know something like Atlantic City. 
Yeah, which yeah. is great. <laughs> no, it's not okay. a bad movie, but like you know, it's, it's... I forgot to yeah, I forgot to talk about like Reds, Deuce and Sarandon in that one. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Safety Brothers like you'll never look at a lemon the same way. That was no, their no. review. That was their review of Atlantic City. <laughs> <laughs> Safety Brothers, <laughs> the horn dogs, <laughs> little little creepers. <laughs> um, <laughs> Good guy. Oh but my goodness. The film essentially established Ridley Scott as like a absolute director to watch. Yeah. Now, another thing about this movie is that The Duelist does not have this, but this is the earliest Ridley Scott movie in which the home video version is a choose your own adventure of what is the preferable version. <laughs> uh, Ridley Scott is a bit of a tinker <laughs> in yeah. post production. And, um, you know, in. Next week, we plan on digging in on this in a much bigger way because I'm still confused about the movie we're doing next week on what the preferable version is. Yeah, we want the one with like the Harrison Ford uh, voiceover. Yeah, Yeah, he's kind of like kind of sleepily giving a voiceover. It's like he's eating a ham sandwich. I don't even think Ridley knows which version he prefers (laughs) at this point. Um, I watched the theatrical version of Alien last night, though. Hmm. Um, I don't even know. The only movie I was thinking about this as I was watching, I was like, what movie can you like discuss differences between director's cut and um theatrical cut? Hmm. And I believe the only movie in my life that I can do that on. Oh no, actually there is a really Scott one I can do it on, which is of naturally the one everybody talks about, the counselor. But <laughs> oh yeah. I can Cance- talk about that because I'm gonna make you watch the extended counselor, which is way better. Yeah. Um Counselor Hive, more like or K Hive, more like yeah. Counselor Hive. There counselor Hive, yeah. yeah. And then um Miami Vice, Michael Mann's movie. I do know the differences in that one. Wow. And I've gone full circle. I was a director's cut fan at first, but now I am back to being a fan of the theatrical version of Miami Vice. Anyway, yes, he made he makes all sorts of little cuts and tinkers and plays around with the format he like we mentioned before has embraced home video in all of its forms for better mm-hmm. or worse um i listened to about a half hour of his commentary as oh. well and it was you know very you know fascinating he's you know as you expect from him very brass tacks sounds like he's smoking all the way through it barrels <laughs> that's good uh, <laughs> but this is a you know truly I mean, it's hard to underplay it, and we were kind of like, you were texting with me about, like, what are we even going to say about it? Movie's been thought about a lot. Everyone's kind of talked about it. That does not mean it doesn't live up to the hype every single time you watch this movie. It is, this is one of those movies that, you know, and he hit it absolutely out of the park with this one. And while I guess, you know, I'm thinking about it because I was going to say, oh, put him on the map and he got he could do whatever he wanted afterwards. But we were just talking about it like, yes, it made some money. But, um, you know, it wasn't like a critical smash. Yeah. And so I think, you know, there's still this element that he's still trying to prove himself, still trying to find his voice. Mm -hmm. You know, there's only two movies in and he's probably looked at an outsider both as a, you know, tried and true British guy Mm -hmm. and being a ad man. Essentially, slick I mean, admin. He, he owns an advertising agency. <laughs> like yeah. you know, you know, you can say what you want about Ridley Scott Associates being a film company. His film company is Scott Free, 
Ridley Scott Associates is his <laughs> advertising agency that probably pays a great deal at this point, at least definitely paid all of his bills. Yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely his first masterpiece. This is this movie. I mean, we we're kind of joking about it, but it is this element of like, there's kind of this movie, the next movie we're going to watch of his next week and then everything else. Which, yeah. There's good stuff. Certainly, a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. But these two are so like monumental, cinematic, historical pillars that, yeah. and both. I mean, next week we'll talk about it. But Blade Runner, you know, rejected by audiences at mm-hmm. the time. Critically it maligned. Came out, I believe the same week as the thing, and they're probably, you know, arguably the two of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made. <laughs> like, weren't they? Weren't they both trounced by ET? Was yeah. that the yeah? It was the summer of ET, but summer of my birth. Ooh. By the way, I've seen the paper. My parents kept the paper. There's a Blade Runner ad in the paper. Oh, I have the paper of my birth too. And there's something about a train strike, a train, an Amtrak strike. That's oh, all I man, remember. I hope it had nothing to do with Unstoppable. Oh no! That's <laughs> it. Watching Chris Pine. Chris Pine. You gotta stop that train. <laughs> Chris Pine. Chris Pine Chris, is Chris. Chris Pine. John Pine's son. Went in a different direction. He's gonna sing a folk song to He's it. Gonna sing like a very like terrific underrated folk song. Gonna do it. You know, Bill Bob Ox Dylan. Co- uh, he rarely compliments any of his peers, but he was a big John. He he thinks John Prime was great. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he's yeah. like Michael Jordan. How Michael Jordan never compliments any of his peers. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. Also starred in Space Jam. I forgot. Yeah, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's in Space Jam. Yeah, yeah it's cute. Bob Dylan and Yosemite Sam, and they're trying to write a song together in space. It's crazy. Yeah. Space Jam? No, it's a jam. It's a musical jam rather Yos- than a basketball jam. Yosemite Sam, for the last time, we cannot let you know. I'm not going to say that joke. <laughs> well, Yosemite Sam, you're out. Robbie Robertson and the band are in. Yes. <laughs> And everyone said that is how Martin Scorsese made the last waltz. It was a key last minute rewrite. <laughs> yeah, you can see like, you know, there's like a one frame of Pepe Le Pew still in the in the yeah, movie. Well, Martin Scorsese is like, I love it. I love all of these ideas. It's wild. I've never seen a movie like this. But what if it was just like a really good concert film? <laughs> yeah, forget the animation. <laughs> and let's drop the Looney Tunes. Yeah, we don't need the Looney Tunes. <laughs> Let's just the songs. The songs are pretty and good. Instead, let's make it very earthbound. <laughs> yeah, what if, yeah. As much as I love B- Bugs Bunny's uh, yeah. heartfelt rendition of the of uh, the wait. Um, you know who would be more interesting? Joni Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. Inter- that's that's interesting. But <laughs> this is this movie is so it works on so many levels. I mean, we talked about kind of the. Well, near Marxist working class yeah. critique mm-hmm. of the characters, the insane sexual overtones of all of the imagery of the aliens, mm-hmm. um, the gender dynamics of Ripley actually being the ma- the heroic macho hero, slowly being revealed, yes, like, that yeah, is slowly revealed that, and. You know, Dallas, the ostensible t- traditional American cinema guy, kind of being revealed as kind of ineffectual and indecisive. Yeah. Nice. Nice guy. Not a bad guy. Yeah, no. But just kind of not up to the task. He's like Gorman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just another dude just totally out of his element. Uh, 
and yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, the Marxist, the leftist, like, yeah, the fact that, like, yeah, this is a working class ship. The Enterprise, yeah, they wouldn't put the Enterprise on the chopping block. Yeah. Yeah, Data's not gonna put face huggers and warps, uh, you know. Yeah, and I think that's out. one of the reasons why this movie, rem- like, this movie remains scary and exciting, but all of these interesting, like, kind of subversive themes mm-hmm. that remain in this movie kind of take it forward that I think Ridley probably takes it all the way with it is mm. next film. Mm. Uh, but we will, you know, talk about that next week, but he's sitting now in front of a lot of options basically yeah. on where he wants to go next. He is a hot, he's hot. He's a hot Ooh. director. <laughs> it's a hot dog. He's hot dogging. And for good reason, I mean, this this is a real like this is a smash of a film. And um, but one thing I will tease out is that after sorry, we got an excited baby who's excited about um, Alien as well. Your baby <laughs> loves Yapik Kodo. Yeah. Oh well, as she should. <laughs> yeah, but she loves. Strangely enough, her favorite performance is his uh, tenure on Homicide: Life on the Streets. Yeah. Yeah. A very gritty three wire. Yeah, television series. Um, interesting thing I just noted too that um, really Scott said he uh, is not thrilled with Alien the director's cut, and huh. he claims that the original is pretty flawless and the additions were merely a marketing tool. Thanks, Ridley. Thanks, Aww. man, for confusing the shit out of us. Aww. But I will say that prior to his next film, which is of course 1982's uh, Blade Runner, mm-hmm. um. He was working on a film adaptation of Dune. Interesting. He was the next in line to do Ooh. Dune, and then if he and then Lynch followed him. Mm. But uh, the failure of that, and then the sudden death of his brother Frank, led to Blade Runner. Huh. Meanwhile, though, simultaneously, where is Tony? Oh, now? as you know, we've we've left 1983's The Hunger. People think it's flashy and slick. Mm. Was it empty? Was it too violent? Was it too sexy? Ah, <laughs> uh, a little too sexy, all right. A little too sexy, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's me, Tony Scott. Too oh. sexy, it was. <laughs> I, I don't. Oh, um, I do want to. So I, I, I read this in the book too, and I just wanted to bring this up for oh, you to The, um, the camping rafting trip between the rich guys, Jeffrey Katzenberg led one. I just don't want to forget that we read about this. Yeah, I this is, uh, a, this is a stunning story. Uh, my note there was I would give six months of my life <laughs> to get on that rafting trip. Patrick lives until he's 85 and a half <laughs> yes. rather than 86. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would make a deal with a devil figure with uh, Catherine Deneuve and the hunger to, to let that, me. This... This sounds like it happens all the time. Some rich CEO of an entertainment is like, boys night out. We're going to take a rafting trip down the Colorado River. Guess who's there? Bruckheimer, Simpson, and this cool ad guy, Tony Scott. Yeah, and also a uh, a Donkey Kong barrels worth of cocaine. Oh, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> Just a Pac-Man arcade cabinet. He's and you got, open like, it up and it's quite got one of those like around his neck like one of those bears or you know, but it's just full of coke <laughs> and while they're there this idea that like tony scott probably half in the tank at least goes and climbs a mountain 
Yeah. Without any ropes and like unprepared to do it at all. And they're like, he's the craziest one here. He should direct Top Gun. Yeah. Where does that you this is why no one should believe that anything in Hollywood anyone has it together. That there is any level of like planning or like strategy. Yeah. Every one of these guys are nerds who did pretty well in school or con artists, but preferably both, who are drug addicts drug-addled talkers who may or may not be talented. <laughs> like, yeah, who are just total, like, who, totally unhinged. Who could be impressed by a macho feat. Oh, yeah, enough to give someone the reins of a major expensive blockbuster Although, picture. <laughs> there is a part of me that's like, you know what, maybe, you know, maybe the system's better than the one we're in right, you know, because, like, would there be as many, like, uh, soy banders? No, you're right. You're absolutely right. We should go the, back. Then yes, because there, there, there's the, obviously there's the chance for complete and utter failures, accidental misogyny, racism, get what have you within the story. But at the same time, a film like Alien could slip by. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm, all I'm saying is Bob J. Pick. Just consider, you know, breaking that glass that uh, houses the emergency store of Quaaludes. I know, and then yeah. Joel Silver's ghost comes flying out. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> it's like uh, there's like a mask you can wear and it turns you into joel silver i know oh <laughs> god oh man yeah, so, except it's nowhere near as fun it's not smoke if you're smoking anything it's crack oh for sure <laughs> oh god yeah dark dark yeah silver but, yeah cursed. tell us tell us about how his next movie emerged all right so we have tom tom, tom scott tony scott he is despondent Audiences didn't understand the hunger. Kind of a flop. He's back in kind of the commercial area right now. While that's happening, we're going to go back in time a little bit to 1979. Uh, Don Simpson, who was the president of production of Paramount at the time, he meets uh, Jerry Bruckheimer. And so Jerry Bruckheimer is a dude that was kind of born and raised in Detroit, working class guy. He's like, you know who uh, Jerry Bruckheimer is? He's like Eddie Murphy's friend in Beverly Hills Cop. That's. Oh, yeah. The guy. Yeah. The, 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 the at the beginning of it. Yeah. It's like the pool hall. Yeah. Like the yeah. The, the mook a yeah. little bit. There's a little bit of that in him. Uh, Don Simpson. Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> he was raised in a highly religious family in Alaska and was a straight A Bible kid. That's how he described himself. So he rebelled. Oh, hugely. And uh, went to uh, San Francisco and then he moved to L.A. in the 70s where he got a job uh, marketing exploitation films for Warner Brothers. Uh, Some of the films that he handled distribution marketing for included Woodstock and A Clockwork Orange. Wow. And so uh, from there, he moved to Paramount. Uh, I think he wrote Cannonball and then eventually got promoted to the head of production at uh, Paramount. He uh, was a bit of a party freak who invited in all, uh, pretty much all vices, as we stated. He drugs, women, like he did it all. Teamed up with uh, Bruckheimer, who's a bit more reserved than him. He's kind of like a normal guy in comparison, at least to uh, Don the Freak Simpson. They got together to produce a film called American Gigolo. Richard Gere, good movie, moderate Directed success. Directed by our one of our heroes. Oh, Polly Schrader. Yeah, <laughs> Polly Schrader's. Uh, it was a moderate hit. They wouldn't, however, team up again, though, until 1982. And at this point, Don had lost his job as the president of production at uh, (laughs) Paramount because he was so debauched 
but <laughs> they were so impressed by he had like so much charisma and like yeah. <laughs> cocaine he was like a cocaine fueled thought machine like he just produced so many thoughts that they were like we'll keep you around as a producer don't worry you can be a freak just don't be a freak that works in our offices and yeah, so you brought up uh for those new younger audience Patrick uh, compared him as a more extreme version to Bradley Cooper's character, John Peters from Licorice Pizza. If you he's, he's like remember a, that. He's like if John Peters crushed up another John Peters and snorted it. Yeah, John Peters is kind of nerd compared to him, if you can yes. believe that. John Peters is like fucking the psycho, Eddie. The psycho from Licorice Pizza. Yeah, he's like the Eddie Deason to this dude's Rick Rosevich. <laughs> so uh yeah. yeah just a total total freak but you know they uh end up working on a film together called Flashdance uh directed by Adrian Lime it's so crazy how like the more we do this podcast the more i realize that like 80% of our 80s culture was created by like british admin yeah <laughs> yeah it's like it, or and then those two uh, Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson. Yep, it's like yep. Jerry Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson, and like seven British people. Flashdance, and this is crazy to me. It, it becomes the third highest grossing movie of 1983. Absolute sensation. Yeah, it, it's uh, only behind Return of the Jedi in terms of endearment. They then <laughs> go on to produce uh, Beverly Hills Cop, which becomes the number one movie of 1984. That So Beverly Hills Cop, and I think we've already said this, grossed more than Ghostbusters, grossed more than... Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Just insane. I think while the product, um, Beverly Hills Cop is filming while that's being produced, old Jerry Bruckheimer goes into the dentist, goes to his local dentist, he's getting his teeth cleaned, uh, and he finds a, a California Magazine article, and it's about the state's naval fighter pilot program and weapons testing school. Uh, and he's like, I mean, you, you read the, and I read the article, it's by a guy named... Ehud Yone. You can find it online, by the way. We'll, I'll post a link of it on Twitter. Didn't his and... family just sue the makers of Top Gun Maverick for... <laughs> oh, no. Oh, gulp. Yeah, probably. I can totally see that happen. That's the type of, you know, it's the type of, like, uh, detail that 100% a huge film studio would forget or try yeah. to avoid. And I'll just say it. On March 3rd, 1969, the United States Naval Navy established an elite school for the top 1% of its pilots. Its purpose was to teach the lost art of aerial combat and to ensure that the handful of men who graduated were the best fighter pilots in the world. It's just like they it's succeeded. <laughs> Today, the Navy calls it Fighter Weapons School. The Flyers call it top gun <laughs> jesus christ it's like ender's game someone just <laughs> this is fucking this is an orson scott card novel jesus mm -hmm. it, it, it's crazy i love it i love yeah, it didn't bruckheimer basically like oh these are rock stars but in their action movie hero rock stars because they've got the cool names and everything like yeah because like you read it and it's just like there's all this like you're inundated with like fascinating yet comparable esoterica like it's just like you know it's like dudes named possum and yogi talking about jinking and backseaters and so like he read it and he yeah he straight up was like, like that's a movie yeah, he's like, this is Star Wars on Earth. That was yeah. his, like, thought, which is, yeah. that's such a fucking stupid, that's so dumb. I love it. It's so dumb that it's incredible. It's, it's so dumb that it's brilliant. It's one of those type of things. Until Die Hard came out, that was the, this is Star Wars, but was, like, every single pitch that was received in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> like, Terms of Endearment was, this is Star Wars, but with cancer. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, that is so true. Yeah, that's a hundred percent true. That's everything was Star Wars until Die Hard. Yeah, and then everything became Die Hard, and then now everything's Marvel. Uh, or, yeah, you know, or Breaking Bad. That's true. <laughs> uh, uh, and so uh, he brought the article to Don's office, and I assume that you know Don was just sitting on a, a pile of cocaine. Yeah, yeah. he's like, it's, he's in Scarface's <laughs> office. He he remade it. <laughs> yeah, he's, that is so funny. He probably uh, he's dressed like John Hurt in Alien. As the weird diaper, uh, and yeah. then uh, he, yeah, he tells him the title. The name of the title is Top Guns. Uh, they're both like dollar signs. This is the way. Um, <laughs> it, it took them a few years though to make it, uh, but they were able to get the go ahead eventually, albeit begrudgingly, from uh, Jeffrey Katzenberger, who took he like sir uh, took over Don Simpson's position as the head of production, and he was kind of like lukewarm on it. For the majority of the uh, shoot, which is kind of crazy. He just did not see it. Well, that's also because Jeffrey Katzenberger is a huge fucking nerd. Yeah. And an evil man. He, he, he created your friend Shrek. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, wait, never mind. I take it back. He's God. He's great. You gave us Shrek. He gave us Shrek. I love you. My, I'm like trash can man for Jeffrey Katzenberger. My life for you. <laughs> I got you the big bob, Katzenberger. Uh, I'm so sick. Um, And so... Bruckheimer, it's so interesting. There's so many like newbies that were hired. So, because like, you know, Tony Scott, it's the second film. And like you said, they hired Tony Scott because of a that insane uh, Grand Canyon rafting trip where it's like, <laughs> I want to know who else was in this because it's like Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yeah, I want to who's, know who's there. Yeah. We got the, another it, SS crew. Like, if there is a devil trickster figure listening, we'll give six months of my life to get on the scamping trip. And he was just impressed by, like, his, like, vivaciousness and his, like, willingness just to climb things without any uh, form of safety <laughs> features. Um, he was also really impressed by a uh, sob commercial that he um, directed. Where we'll it's like post a- that on the Twitter, too. Oh, yeah. It's, and it's a great commercial um, as far as commercials go. It's like, you know, a sob kind of, like, being compared to a fighter jet and then they both kind of race together so the fighter jet flies away but even um, the guy walking up to the sob looks like maverick it's nuts like <laughs> I, I i it's one of those things where like i think if you just like switch the dialogue of the commercial from like what they're saying the ad the ad copy to like danger zone like if you just put danger zone in the background you could put this in any moment in the movie and you just think it's part of the movie <laughs> wouldn't it have been amazing if it was a red sob and it was the guy from Drive My Car. <laughs> yes, oh, the iconic Red Sob is—he's back. Well, well, it's if Top Gun is Drive My Car origins, I'd be so. That, yeah, it's well, and the pitch is it's Drive My Car but sexy. <laughs> yes, this car fucks. <laughs> yeah, this, you're like we saw this sensitive side of this Red Sob, but what if it was like showed it's like dude's rock side just fucked. <laughs> yeah, did a bunch of cocaine. <laughs> climbed a mountain. I, I'm convinced that I guess six months of my life to go to that camping trip, I owed the on cocaine the first night we're yeah. out there. Oh, I'm I... gonna... <laughs> totally, we're dead. That's yeah. the problem. We're gonna you, you climb that rock and you're gonna fall off. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna be like those like uh like those cops that like like freak out whenever they touch fentanyl. <laughs> like we're just gonna like <laughs> yeah touch yeah. scare quotes touch fentanyl. Like I, I was at this party and I accidentally touched fentanyl. No, you yeah. did fentanyl. <laughs> I, I was at this party and I touched Dom Simpson. 
Yeah, Don Simpson was there. Joel Silver was there. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, that's crazy. That's... I can't believe there were drugs there. Yeah. Yeah. They. I'm surprised they weren't all gone. Um. But uh. So the he wasn't the only kind of like you know young buck there too. So they got like relatively unknown writers to write Top Gun. Uh, these two guys, uh, who I find super fascinating now, Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. What's interesting about them is that they both went to Michigan State University together. That's where they met. I believe, was it Jim Cash or Jack Epps Jr.? One of these two guys was like a three-year college, like he dropped out of college like three times before, like, you know, the fourth time was the charm. Uh, And uh, they would like, you know, hang out together and they both wanted to make it in the film industry. You know, they would... uh, like write like stuff together on like uh they would write like stories and plots on like you know uh, the cocktail napkins at like the local like diner and whatnot one thing that's interesting is that you look at these guys there's only one so jack Epps jr was the one who went to hollywood mm-hmm. uh jim cash stayed behind and apparently uh to my knowledge he never left uh M- michigan he just like he would he co-wrote all his stuff in Michigan and like stayed... he wrote the wrote the secret of my success as well. Yeah, he the stayed Michael in... J. Fox joint. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and they yeah. stayed they stayed they stayed in yeah he was able to stay in uh, stay in the Midwest for the majority of his career. Jack Epps Jr. had like one or two he had one or two credits under his name that Jim Cash didn't um, before they um, worked on Top Gun, and one of them is this. So he wrote for Kojak a little bit. He wrote for Hawaii Five O. And then another one is this TV movie I showed Don that I really <laughs> want to see called Pigs vs. Freaks. Write uh, r- in if you want us to do like an, uh, you know, an Academy experiment, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, another it's a science experiment. Snobs football movie? <laughs> oh, no. It's so much more than that, sir. Uh, just to give you the the uh, the the plot outline in a small town the hippie faction often clashes with the mainstream to settle their differences the hippie freaks take on the town police pigs in a football game on opposing sides of the fence are frank the police sergeant and his son neil also at odds are neil and one-time friend doug doug played by a young patrick swayze Mm. A returned Vietnam vet who has joined the police force, who is also protective of his younger sister, who prefers the hippie element. To make things even more intense, Mickey South, who has fled to Canada to avoid the war, returns to play for the Freaks football team. Tensions mount, and all are challenged as the climax of the film approaches. It's better, You better believe it. Yeah, it, there's a guy, like, Stephen first plays a guy named Steamboat. I want to watch this movie. It looks sounds stupid. So... After that tangent, we get back to the movie. Uh, the OG Cash and Epps Jr. screenplay had like some interesting elements. You know, there, there was it was good. It was like a good groundwork. It was a good foundation. But there were also moments in it that could be streamlined is what like, you know, Bruckheimer and Simpson, I think, aptly determined. Uh, for example, like, you know, Maverick was going to have a romance with a former gymnast named Kristen. Who has a a family related grudge against hotshot pilots? Not of course, not just I, regular pilots. <laughs> uh, doesn't your family as well? Yeah. Oh, Mine yeah. Does. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Don the pilot hater Saunderson. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. That's actually that's why I did not make Top Gun. Is that was my chosen call sign was pilot hater. <laughs> the pilot. Yeah, they did <laughs> like, not like that. Yeah, they're like, man, 
you're missing the spirit of this thing entirely. <laughs> yeah, you're not having. Come on, buddy, that's not fun. Uh, and then also the third act actually inv- involved a, a detailed hostage situation involving North Korea and Maverick getting wounded, but ultimately surviving a dogfight. Uh, Maverick, Maverick getting hurt? No way. We ain't doing that. Uh, no. That's what, that's what Brookheimer and uh, Simpson said. Also, they wanted the movie to be like flashier, sexier, and more energetic. Yes, they really wanted it to be like yeah, rock and roll music video. Like he hit yeah, and Which so they is got there. I mean, post Flashdance, post um, Beverly Hills Cop, that this is their mo. They're yeah, cre- they're creating the 1980s basically. Yeah, f- f- flashy, speedy, sexy. That is them. And so they got Warren Skerrin, who uh, would go on to do Beetlejuice and Batman, uh, to come and streamline things, make things flashier and sexier. And he punched up the dialogue. Uh, he did he made... not get a uh, screenwriting credit, though. No, he did not. It was an uncredited screenwriting. Um, he's on IMDb, though, so at least he's getting some, you know, getting some justice in the in the in the post in the post world. Uh, and so uh, he made I- Iceman a more well-rounded rival to Maverick. Uh, he added like a perhaps unneeded glamorous sheen to the military escapades. Like he kind of valorized the made made things made it look all more appealing. Well, the shadow screenwriters from the Pentagon probably helped with that too. We'll yeah. talk about that in just a moment. <laughs> oh no! Oh, I like now. Wait, yeah. Oh yeah, and so that's the thing too. Yeah, military was semi involved in this yeah. movie. <laughs> well, and by semi, we mean directly. Fully. Yeah, directly, fully yes. involved. Yeah, <laughs> and so um. <laughs> The person that they had in mind for uh, Maverick from the beginning, and this is great casting, Cruz, because they felt like, you know, he was really confident, but there was also kind of like a weird, vulnerable element to him. And he's coming off of a risky business, which kind of made him, brought him to the forefront. Oh, for sure. Hollywood. Yeah, this was, yeah, this is kind of like, it's almost like this is going to be his Beverly Hills cop moment. This is going to yeah. be the movie. They they sense it. And so they bring. Well, all of like Cruz's trademarks and quirks are in this movie. He's Man. like fully formed in the same way Eddie Murphy is like fully formed in Beverly Hills Cop. God, yeah, that is so true. It's a hundred, yeah. He's like, yeah, this is the movie that kind of cements him as who he is. And mm-hmm. so uh, they hire him, um, they offer him the role. He's originally turns it down. He's like not for it initially. And so what Bruckheimer did was he, uh, he had a friend who was a, a Navy admiral and he asked him for a favor, and that favor was to uh, give Tom Cruise a jet ride, like in one of the fighter jets. <laughs> and so uh, Tom Cruise, and by the way, he's filming Legend at the time, which we'll cover in a future episode. And so he has like the long, like you know, George of the Jungle legend hair. And so he's on the he's on this uh, you know gets on this flight with the while he has his like weird man bun, uh, vomits. While flying, he does not like flying, does not sit well with Tom, but he's also like totally enamored by the whole experience, despite like the, the stomach issues. He's like, I'm in. This is great. I, this, I love this. This rules. Yeah, this slaps. And yeah, and that won't be the end of his vomit. He's like, dude, he's a trooper. He'll he'll take the stomach pain. Yeah, he, I mean, this is kind of his entire start setting the tone of him being at the front line of whatever production they're on to do whatever, whatever is necessary to make it great. Right. This is like, yeah, he, he will go that extra mile when other actors are kind of like, yeah. So Tony Scott, they get Tony Scott, you know, and already said it, hunger flop. He's in kind of commercial prison. They get him out of commercial prison. Although, like, he's at odds with, like, Jeffrey Katzenberger, despite being invited to that epic, you know, 12-person rafting trip. 
mm-hmm. him and Katzenberger just kind of don't see eye to eye. It feels like you get the, that vibe from Larry Taylor's book. Because uh, he, he's fired twice during the production yeah. of the film. Crazy. Yeah, very crazy. Oh, I don't know how they do it. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, too, is uh, Tony Scott, he wanted the film to be the 80s answer to Apocalypse Now. That's the vibe he initially, and you know, you could make an argument it kind of is in a weird, messed up way. Like it is like the in 80s. In a messed up way. Yeah. yeah in the way yeah. that like the 80s is like messed up in general. Like, yeah, like this is like the, it's the, in the same way that Reagan is a response to George McGovern and the hippies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. That, that, in that way. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah, he wants it to be that, and he like wanted it to be kind of a grim and dour film. Like, think his like Ambrose Bierce, uh, you know, short film. Uh, he's an arty. He's an arty guy. He likes moody people, like staring out windows, Michael Mann style. Yeah, he he wants to be treated seriously. You really yes, get that vibe. That's like yeah. the thing. Is like he wants. He's like an, he feels like he's an artist, like a capital A artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the thing that I read about both of them, though, to go back to Alien as well, and really Scott says the same thing. It's like. They recognized on both these productions the necessity of if they want to make movies in this business, the compromises that need to be made yeah. to do that. And That's... both movies represent that because these are as commercial movies as they get. <laughs> that is so fat. Yeah, they they have such a nose for it. They're so attuned. Yeah. And, you know, he... And Tony was initially kind of like at odds with Bruckheimer and Simpson. He like did not want to like kind of make the movie they wanted to make, but over time he kind of got hip to their perspective and was like, you know what? This is like going to be a sexy rock and roll move. This is just a long ass rock and roll music video. Yeah. With, with planes. Like that's like the energy he brought to it. And, and hunks. I was yeah. gonna say hunks and babes, but mostly hunks. Mainly hunks, hunks, Mainly hunks. Ba- babes and hunky uh, outfits. Uh, yeah, because like uh, babes uh, that are confused, babes that could be confused with hunks. <laughs> yeah, babes that can be confused with hunks. And so like uh, Kelly, yeah, Kelly McGillis. Yeah. You know, uh, one thing I learned that's crazy: Kelly McGillis was not the first choice for Char- uh, Charlie, which is nuts. It was Ali Sheedy, which I could. Don't no, see. yeah, no shade, yeah, no shade, to Ali. Great Sheen. actor, don't great see actor, it. yeah, don't see it at all. Like Kelly McGillis is like, it's an iconic role, and she crushes it. She's so good in this role. Ali Sheedy turned it down, which is why Kelly ended up getting it. And she was hot from Witness, the Harrison Ford movie. Oh yeah, that was that... where that was kind of her breakthrough movie. Yeah, uh, don't trust the Amish. That's what I learned. Uh, uh, well, you know, one thing I noticed too before we get is the interesting. Um, gender-neutral name of Charlie that they give to her. Mm. Another kind of semi-subversive element that's happening in this film. Well, what's interesting is, like, uh, the Navy was, like, you know, originally Kelly's character, Charlie, she was, like, actually one of the boys. She was, like, part Mm -hmm. of the crew. And the Navy was, like, hell no. She can't be, uh, she can't be part, like, you know, because that's, like, they didn't want to portray fraternizing Amongst mm-hmm. the officers, like that's a huge no-no, and so that's why her character works for the Pentagon. And yeah. then, um, so the first reason Scott got fired off of the set was because his initial like footage for um like the intro was like super moody and weird, and it was like the hunger. It was like that energy applied to Top Gun. 
on a damn aircraft carrier. Yeah, which is so crazy. And so and great. And, oh, it rules. It rules. And and Katzenberger was initially like Katzenberg was initially like, no, 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 like, we can't do this and fired him. Uh, they bring him back. He does it kind of the way they want to, but he's able to sneak in some of the stuff he did. You can see a little bit of that energy. It's muted by the fucking baller music, but, yeah. you know, it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> the rousing, intense, and instantly, like, iconic score. Yeah, like, just, oh, God, so good. Um, And we'll talk about Harold um, more in depth, like, next next, next week. week. Um, he comes he has, up again. Yeah, he, and there's some great stories about his score in here that we'll get into de- more detail to next week, but I feel like I'm kind of going over. Mm-hmm. I'm already kind of going too long. Well, I, mean, so- the, I mean, the other, you know, there's a million pieces of things to talk about with Kenny Loggins too. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. That's the thing too, is like the, they got like a hundred different artists to, to send in songs. That's crazy. And I mean, I love that story. So Kenny Loggins is one of the artists mm-hmm. and he supplies them with, I believe playing with the boys. Mm-hmm. first so funny and then he like his people wanted him to have a rock song for his concerts and that and so he took on danger zone because of that that's like, so uh, and, like a... and he's like obviously already a soundtrack king mm-hmm. due to his work on um footloose and caddyshack <laughs> It's point. like, yeah, it's kind of like one of those beautiful moments where, like, uh, commerce and art, like, everything just aligns perfectly. Well, like, this is kind of like one of the arguments with this movie in general is that, like, it's so entertaining and so kind of funky and weird. But at the same time, there is this very, like, it is like more, has more commercial sheen to it than any movie of its era. And it kind of defined what it meant to have commercial sheen. Yeah, it does like it's so you can tell that Tony Scott is an ad man because everything does kind of feel like it. And it's not in a bad way, even like it's an incredible movie. But like mm. there are moments where like even when like Tom Cruise and like Anthony Edwards start randomly belting, like they'll be at a, uh, a bar, like randomly belting to a woman that feels like the beginning of an advertisement that feels like they're about well, to I mean, talk about Sprite soon. Kelly McGillis's beach house still looks like Catherine Deneuve's lair in, except it's blue. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not, so, yeah, it's wild. Yeah. It's he wild. can't get over like all the smoke and the um, silk shades, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah, he can't like he can't escape his uh, his gothic trappings. But there's this thing I noticed too that so after the big kind of mid this movie also has a huge midpoint death in the same way that Alien does, mm. and um, but there's this part where Cruz is at the sink and uh, Viper comes in to talk to him, and Scott shoots Viper's close up in a mirror, like he shoots Scarrett's reflection rather than dead on on Scarrett, and it's just like that little extra like commercial guy that like gives it like this extra like vibe to it that like a close-up he would have gotten it scared's a great actor it would have been fine but it's like what more can we do what can and both these guys both the scots that's what how they think yeah oh it's like we do it's like an alien there's a great scene that is from the perspective of the cat Mm-hmm. you're just seeing things from the cat's point of like from you're just seeing the face of the cat while things are happening and they're bad things and it's such a like that's like the type of thing you want from a filmmaker someone who's willing to kind of think out of the box 
in a way that like most people will not think. I don't like you know. I wouldn't think to film a crucial scene from the perspective of the pet. That's mm-hmm. that's a great, but it's like it's genius. Like it that's just, how they you know. These are two of the greatest visual filmmakers of their era, let alone the times. And that's how you have to do it. You have to think if you're making a movie like that and you want to make this movie that has this like slick commercial polish to it, you have to think that way as a filmmaker. Or you better have a really good script or some really good stars. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Like, and like, and this is like a movie too where I think Top Gun is like, I watched it and it's it's just another example of like yeah it's like the way that like the hunger is all vibes this is another movie that's like oops all vibes but like mm-hmm. in an incredible like to the point where like you're so like you can watch it and it feels like a warm sunbeam kind of go- glowing over you mm-hmm. like you don't need to worry about plot that much you go you it's it's pretty it's pretty clear like it's just dudes you know training to be the best pilots ever and then there's like a climax again, you know, then there's like, you know, the harrowing moment where the friend dies. And then you have the final big moment where the, uh, and so. Well, a new love interest emerges like Susan Sarandon in The Hunger. Mm. Uh, Iceman emerges. Yeah, that's true. He, Gun. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Iceman is kind of the, yeah, he's kind of a, a he's kind of the, you I know. Love, I love Goose. Non-genou. But Iceman. Yeah, Val is so good in this movie. Oh, and Val didn't want to do it. No, Val was like, yeah, he he thought it was beneath him. Yeah, he was straight up like avoiding them, refusing to answer calls. The only reason he did it was because he owed, uh, I think he owed Paramount like three a third pictures. a third movie because he yeah. done uh, Top Secret and uh, Real Genius. Yep, and yeah. which then this is like it's so funny. Like this is like such a those two movies are very different from. They are. Yeah. And also, it's so funny because he didn't want to do it, but it's kind of like it is his most iconic part. <laughs> like, yeah. Which he, and he's not even, it's crazy. He's not even in the movie like that much. He's so memorable, though. Like every yeah. cutaway to him listening to Maverick and his like contempt for Mavericks. You know what? It's because Iceman's a stick in the mud. It's yeah. not because he's an asshole. It's because he's a rule follower. <laughs> he's know? a bit of a nerd. He is yeah. a bit of a nerd. He, he's just a hunky nerd. He's like an, it's like what happens when a nerd becomes alpha. Yeah, yeah. That you get ice in the best case scenario because Iceman shows his true colors. Yeah, and Iceman rules. <laughs> he's a good guy. It just takes a yeah. while for him to like understand. Well, it takes him and, like... him and Mav are oil and water, babe. Yeah, I mean, you know they just well, got different styles, but game recognizes game. Yeah, hunks mm. recognize hunks, and that goose is for the gander, man. Yeah, goose, and goose, goose rules. Goose is for the gander. Yeah, yeah. Go- <laughs> see, that's the other real love of Maverick is goose. Like that's a, well, it's that, the love of his life. I mean, yeah. that's in the new one too. That's Sam right. and Frodo, dog. Like yeah. that's like <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, big time. <laughs> but big it's time. better because Sam fucking dies. He takes yeah. the L. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like can't get that shoot. They can't get that uh, escape hatch open. No, it's so oh, it's so tragic. That's like see, that's the thing is like yeah, this movie like is like it's cotton candy. It's cotton candy. But then you have that one moment that's just so pure and like sad, and it really I think that does elevate the movie a little bit. I think so. Well, there's like. For all of their flaws and for all of their sins, which it's so funny, it's the same way with the critical revival of Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. It's just things have 
gotten to this level that like we're so desperate for any level of weird choices Mm -hmm. in blockbusters that like simpson and bruckheimer have now been kind of forgiven in the 90s they were enemies oh for sure i remember that i even remember as a kid like recognize like they would be uh, poo-pooed on frequently. well they have a rad logo before their their movies start the simpson mm. and bruckheimer productions logo with the I, thunderbolt i love that thunderbolt and you know you're in for a damn ride that's yes, the thing you're in because for a treat. guys never like said you know what uh now that we've made all of these like flashy sexy bangers we're gonna make cider house rules they never said that. Yes, they never. Yeah, none of this Lassie Hellstrom, yeah. uh, Stephen Daldry bullshit. No, they yeah. never. They never. Like Don Simpson is so like his id is just like talk about leading with your dick. Yeah, like he just like he didn't like. I don't need any of that. Like all the directors these days, like the Russos on down, they want like prestige love that's why they yes. always defend like the marvel movies and that's... stuff don simpson's like i'm gonna swim in my swimming pool made of women cocaine and money yes. <laughs> i'm gonna buy a living ewok and then eat i'm gonna liver. like buy a porsche to purposely crash because i want to know what it feels like to crash a porsche yes. you know? <laughs> uh, it's just like yeah like everyone is so starved for everyone wants uh raves everyone wants critical acclaim everyone wants to be told mm-hmm. they're smart that's where we're at everyone is a kid that went to private school and these all these places they all went to like you know their mm-hmm. ib their ag their baccalaureates they all they all want that like uh that that gold star that pat on the head mm-hmm. be it an oscar or a guy at vox.com uh, who suddenly is treated as like a <laughs> a, a person with a uh, superior critical palate? Mm-hmm. And you that's know? why, like, you know, when Ambulance came out, everyone was like, "Michael Bay is our last champion." Yeah, because he's never. I mean, Pearl Harbor, but Pearl Harbor was so crass. Yeah, it was like beyond belief. Like, I that that's like so wrongheaded. Yeah. It's almost funny. Yeah, it's... another Simpson Bruckheimer movie too <laughs> it's a parody. yeah it's almost a parody of itself uh, I mean, it's... yeah and well, i think it's just it is funny though you know we're looking back because these guys it did, what they did was crass don simpson was not a good guy no evil, you know we want to yeah. make that clear yeah a demon he's like a not you a good know, person he all if if the me too rules existed in 1984 he'd be in jail <laughs> yeah i mean yeah it's just like and it's crazy like, yeah, the line in the book where they're like, yeah, he did all these things. He was horrible to everyone. He had tantrums all the time. He did oceans of cocaine. But he, he was kind of cool, and he had ideas occasionally, so we let him on. Yeah. Like, and, yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, and he'd be just on his ass or shut up these days. But, but I mean, it is funny to think about, like, you're trying to make this movie. You're just trying to get by, and then this coked-out producer who's your boss shows up, and it's like, what if there are aliens? <laughs> Like, yeah. You know, which <laughs> what is, if, yeah, what if dude, what if like Maverick like showed his dong and it was huge and like we inserted it with mine? <laughs> <laughs> there needs to be like a little bit of like not like there's a way to do that without the evil. There's a I way think to... that you can be a cowboy without being evil. Yeah, that's possible. I think I I have full faith. There are people that have been like, you know, degenerate freaks that are also like 
it's not that many. It's hard, you know. But there people well, have written the like, line. I think that's what makes the um, Josh Safdie in particular so attractive to younger uh, viewers. So if you see him in like making ups, it's like he doesn't seem like a bad guy. Seems like an okay guy. Yeah, seems but normal. at the same time, it's like he's like out there somewhere in New York, hanging out with weird people right now. And yeah. that's exciting. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and part of it too is his dad was weird. Like you know, yeah. like he comes from weird. You know, that's yeah, like yeah. I mean, I guess it's like weird can be a lot of things. So like, but positive weird is really cool, and I think that's why. I think it's one of the reasons why Top Gun has stuck around, mm-hmm. because if it was just this crass commercialism, if it was just this jingoistic hellhole, which yeah. it kind of is, but the. Tony Scott, and I know he was aware of it. I'm convinced he was aware of it. The subversive elements that he's put in this movie that are the same as the fucking hunger. Yeah. Gender fluid pansexuality. Yeah. It well, seems it's, to be lurking just under the surface of this entire movie. Yeah. From the thrilling. It's, it's thrilling. It's so cool. And like, it's like, a, and it's like, he's like, kind of like, you know, uh, thumb, you know, sticking his thumb to the, the military folks too because the military folks are the ones that were like you know he's not gonna pick up on they're not gonna pick up on it because he put kelly mcgillis fully clothed yeah and by doing that he can have all these scenes where like tom cruise and val kilmer hanging on their tidy whiteies like getting nose to nose with each other yeah And and while like kelly mcgillis is almost like this weird like She's Tilda Swinton-esque in this movie. She's almost like otherworldly because she's like, you know, she's gorgeous. But it's like, it's so funny. Like, you, I never really get the sense of like a connection between her. And I know. Tom yeah. Like she's yeah. just whenever she's there, she's just kind of like this it's, weird it's, presence. It's assumed. Yes. Rather than actually like any like any feeling of it. And that was like what I mean, I think I was I don't know if I was alone in this, but like that was one thing I really liked about Top Gun Maverick was like his chemistry with Jennifer Conley was actually really warm and real. And it was oh, the first woman he had been paired with in probably 15 years where that has come across. Interesting. I haven't seen Jennifer Connelly in a movie in a dog's age. And she like kind of like has fun with him and she's like, and he seems like a little bit more open to her and they seem like a better match. Like, yeah, Kelly McGillis feels like kind of like this gorgeous alien who has yeah. shown up. And but there's also like this like whole like perfunctory kind of like, oh, we're top gun guys. We we we, we pick up women, right? Yeah, we, we sing we sing you pick <laughs> up love, women by singing to them in bars, right? <laughs> singing songs from the fifties. Like that were that that is the funniest part about Top Gun Maverick too, is like Miles Teller's like playing great balls of fire on the piano and we know it's a callback but at the same time it's like that song was already too old oh man for the guys in top gun one yeah no millennial is like aware of that no at all or like going to like hot bars to play it and like everyone going nuts for you because you're yeah. doing it <laughs> no yeah no yeah no one under the age of 35 has ever been wooed by someone playing a jerry lee lewis song i know it was, it was so funny though because like so my brother and his friends, this was like on all the time, this movie mm. with them. They loved it. And they thought like all that stuff was like cool and worked. <laughs> like singing Righteous Brothers and shit. Oh, that's <laughs> like, so funny. That's so, that's so, hey, you know what? 
I think what does work is just having like infinite confidence. Like if you're like somebody who's like, crazy enough Tom, to do that. If you are Tom Cruise in nineteen what eighty four, yeah, um, or eighty six, mm-hmm. yeah, you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. If you can you, do whatever you want. You can you look and behave like Tom Cruise or Val yeah. Kilmer or even Anthony Edwards in 1986. <laughs> if yeah. You're in good you shape. Can, you can like uh, go in there wearing a an Elmo costume, singing Timbuk three songs, yeah. and you'll still like find a relationship somehow. You uh, should uh, quickly mention too some of the murderers row of older cast members. Oh, it's so film. good. Uh, they all have start- names. Yeah, they all or have call signs. Names. Yeah, call all, and they're all cool. Yeah, uh, I. I was raving. I mean, I'm a gigantic Michael Ironside fan. I have a pulse. I have eyes. Yes. Of course, I love Michael yeah. Ironside. So good. Him, him and Kurtwood Smith are like the two best evil baldies. They're the awesome. And I mean, like, I, I, you know, obviously we'd seen him beforehand, but I mean, the my my, my Michael Ironside love is was so solidified by Starship Troopers. Yeah, that'll Teacher, do it. Teacher, then he shows up and he's like, everyone fights. No one quits. <laughs> and you're like, hell yeah, Michael Ironside. <laughs> oh, he's so good. Yeah, he's in Total Recall. He's in I mean, um, Scanners. Scanners. I love him in The Machinist. He has like a weird mm. bit part in that movie, and he's great. I love seeing him like he was in Nobody, the Bob Odenkirk movie. Oh, really? First scene. He was on the Amanda Seyfried um, Elizabeth Holmes show on Hulu. Huh. So it's like, it's, so, it's great to see him. So I like. We went when Cronenberg. They did this huge Cronenberg retrospective of Beyond Fest a few years ago. Cronenberg was brought into town. It was a total thrill. They went all the way through his movies, and one of the big days was they did Shivers, Rabid, Scanners, Brood, uh, four movies in a row, marathon. Scanners just finishes up. Everyone had a great time. The guy hosting goes, "Guess what, man? We got a big thing." Totally didn't even know they were going to be here. Michael Ironside is here, and he oh came God. down and did a uh, impromptu Q and A. Just like you love to see it. Only in LA, folks. Only in LA, folks. Canadian royalty. Canadian royalty. But we're talking Tom Skerritt returns. He's Viper. What an awesome name. Perfect name for the cool authority figure. Mm-hmm. I was so moved this time around when they didn't have a side. They didn't have a uh, RIO man radio intercept officer for Maverick and Viper just looks at him and goes can't find anybody give me a call it's like <laughs> hell yeah man <laughs> that is dudes being dudes for other dudes and then um, Academy Academy Hall of Famer James Tolkien is in the mix as Stinger he's so good yeah I love sweaty, him sweaty man yeah. in oh, this movie but angry. it's like Angry, sweaty. That was one of the big, great hot shots bits too. When uh, John Cryer's like sweating into his glasses, he's got like <laughs> fish tank in his glasses. Oh God, hot shots! See, I see. It's so funny. So this is my first that time gets watching. Back to the, our original story about Alien, though. It's like you know Top Gun yeah. because you had seen it made fun of in every single scene in Hot Shots. Exactly. It's like <laughs> yeah, I've seen Hot Shots enough times where I knew this movie beat for beat. Yeah, you knew exactly what happens in this movie because you've seen it made fun of in Hot Shots. Yeah, oh god, what a good movie. God yeah, damn. Hot Shots is so funny. Yeah. Ugh. Recommend watching that too, but you know, this movie, like, top to bottom, I mean, I was so, like, it was interesting because I watched it a few months ago before Maverick came out. I mm-hmm. saw it, I watched it the night before I went and saw Maverick. And I was so blown away by Maverick like everybody else was. That I was like, oh, you know, Maverick is way better than the original Top Gun. 
But then I watched Top Gun yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about like the time and how they're older in Maverick and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I was just so moved by seeing them as young men. Like oh, going wow. back to it, I was like, no, this movie's fucking great. <laughs> like I like I like because in Maverick, of course, there's this big a lot of people have talked about this huge emotional scene with Val Kilmer. Mm-hmm. We know Val Kilmer's had real life health problems and stuff like that, and they're brought into the movie. Iceman has the same health problems. But watching it, watching them embrace and smile at each other at the end of this movie is these two young actors who are just at the start of their careers. And then just thinking about where they were going to go from this moment and that kind of thing. I don't know. It's very like, it's beautiful. It's moving. It's just like you care. I don't, somehow they establish these characters in the face of all of the weird subversive elements, all of kind of the flashy commercialism, and all of their rah-rah joined. I mean, they had recruiting officers at fucking screenings of this movie. Wow. Oh, yeah, they did. They had it every screening. Totally nuts. Which is uh, awful. Yeah. <laughs> Insane. Yeah. yeah no, in this because movie, they knew was... Joe... ding-dongs. We're going to. That's my call sign is ding-dong. Yeah. Um, we're going to walk out of the theater and like, I want to do that. Not knowing. It's like, oh, you have to join the military. Yeah. Oh, it reminded me of like the Wanderers where like all the all the the rowdy uh, cue balls or whatever go into the Vietnam (laughs) recruitment. I know. It's like in you and I are like Gary Busey in Big Wednesday. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, we're like, yeah, we're pretending uh, we have. Yeah, we're stealing cigarettes. All sorts of ailments. We're insane. (laughs) Yeah. I'm wearing a fake leg brace. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Jan Michael Vincent with the leg brace. Yeah. Running yeah, away. that's that's more Academy Academy style of military recruitment. Oh yeah. Um, oh man. Other yeah. faces in this movie: Meg Ryan plays Goose's wife in an early role for her. Uh Tim Robbins is the greatly named Merlin. What a cool call sign name, Merlin. Very good. Very yeah. cool. Oh yeah, I like Barry uh, Tubb as uh, Wolfman. He's yeah, good. Wolfman. Uh, Whip Hubley is of course Hollywood or Wood. To his friends, <laughs> Adrian Pastar from uh, Near Dark is Chipper. Oh hell yeah! And uh we it would be we would be remiss not to bring up Rick Rosovich, Slider, <sighs> uh, the muscle, yeah, the Iceman's intelligence. I would say he's yeah, you know? he's like the brute, the 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 mean. Uh, he's like the mean heavy. Well, it's like if you're Anthony Edwards, are you taking off the shirt? If you, that guy's on the other side of the net. <laughs> that's, that's why this movie's great. Right, There's let's little get things in, like let's that. Let's get into the beach volleyball scene before we go. Um, we have to. So, of course, famously, there is a deathly homoerotic sequence in which yeah. they play beach volleyball set to Kenny Loggins' song, Playing with the Boys. A few things to note. Val Kilmer looks fucking great when he, like, spins the ball in his finger. Yeah. Badass. He's got cool sunglasses on. His hair looks awesome. He, yeah. it's it's all happening. For it's Val. like a, a, a like a Tom from Finland com like art piece almost like that mm. level of like eroticism. Yeah, yes, it is. And <laughs> what's, what's so great is like somebody had to be aware of it. Yes, like I think that like Tom Simpson in his coke field haze was like it's sexy. Let's do it. Mm. And Tony Scott was like it's sexy, but at the same time, do you know why it's like, because like Simpsons, like it'll get women's asses in the seats. I'm like, I think it's gonna get a lot of dudes' asses in the seats. Yeah, <laughs> like, like we, it's so funny. Like, yeah, because whenever, yeah, whenever like people, whenever men try to do the female gaze, 
it, it, it inevitably just becomes like the male on male gaze. Like, yeah, yeah, it just yeah, they they don't they don't they don't get it. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah, because this is a this is a variation of like you know I was just watching Beverly Hills Cop two and they go to the Playboy Mansion. Yeah, in that, and he's got like close ups of like bikini asses. Oh my goodness! Yeah. This is the same thing. This yeah. is the exact same thing. So, um, Val looks just like a very fit guy who's probably good at all sports. Mm-hmm. He's teamed up, of course, with Slider, who looks like a professional wrestler. Yeah, he looks <laughs> like, like he's greased up beyond belief. There's mm-hmm. one part where he literally like poses like he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger and pumping iron. Yeah, um, it's in slow motion too, as playing playing with the boys is going on. Meanwhile, on the other side of the net, um, Maverick and Goose seem to have been less prepared for this matchup. Mm -mm. In kind of, they were just pulled off, pulled out of the locker room to do it, it seems. Compared to Slider and Iceman, who seem like they've been at the beach all day playing. Um, Goose is, you know, wearing a shirt. He's uh, he's like like a... like, It's like a Chekhov's shirt. He's gonna <laughs> die because he's he's not cool enough to pop his shirt at the beach. Yeah, Which that's means, true. Of course, I'm dead. I'm dead too. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, no, Jingle's dying too. Don't worry. Yeah, Jingle's <laughs> down. Jingle's. We lost Jingle. <laughs> wet, uh, blank, wet blanket is down. <laughs> Guys, okay, we're gonna Maverick, have to watch. You are not. You are not at fault for wet blanket's death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no worries, dog. Uh, <laughs> and then Maverick, though. Pops his shirt, cruises in great shape. He's got cool sunglasses, but he opts for jeans oh, yeah. at the beach. Perfect volleyball. <laughs> Perfect beach volleyball attire, tight jeans. Oh Why don't you go for a swim, too? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and you know, at some point, his those are going to rip, and his dong is just is going to be gone, like loose. Yeah. If, which was a Don Simpson pitch on the day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What if his dong just fell out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a... <laughs> eggs and sausage. Let's see some t- the testes. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's a wild scene that is really like kind of like a thrill, though. Mm-hmm. Too, you're like, oh, this is like wild. This movie's taken to the next level. Where what is going to happen next in yeah. this movie? It's so 80s too. Like this montage, this athletic, you know. And that was like another part of watching Maverick, which was such a thrill, was like. There's this scene where John Hamm shows up and he's like, where's everybody? He's like, oh, Maverick took him somewhere. And you're like, oh, they're going to come to the beach and do some sports. <laughs> <laughs> you guys Ever, can have a bond. Yeah, everyone's popping the shirts. This time around, they're playing um, they're playing football, but both teams are on offense. So it's really weird and confusing. But at the same time, it's kind of fun. It's like, it's like, how can we up the ante? We can make up a sport. <laughs> we're gonna calvin ball this <laughs> but it's like it's so funny you're like reading an interview with glenn powell who plays kind of like the Iceman facsimile kind of oh, kind of guy and he's um he's great that. i like i like him a lot mm-hmm. um but he was like saying he's like you know we all grew up in top gun so we know all of these moments be for beats so it's like there's gonna be this scene where we're at the beach playing sports we gotta have like our pump on as much as possible for that scene because like everybody's gonna be like they're gonna take off their shirts and we have to look as good as fucking slider oh <laughs> like, god uh, yeah we all have to look like rick yeah, yeah. It was, i think he was a former nfl player i believe that actor. yeah 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 but uh uh cool guy alert slider oh yeah <laughs> hey great and roxanne yeah so but yeah goose dies maverick has to save the day 
he and Val make up and they're the best of friends. Yeah. It's a deathly satisfying movie. And the, uh, there's not a lot of like, here's the beautiful thing about it. This isn't a movie about the plot. This is a movie about the vibes and like, just like this the, crew the of cool guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just like, you're just, you're kind of like bathing in weird eighties. Uh... It's all like soundtracked to just pop hit after pop hit. Like you mentioned. Yeah. About like a hundred songs were on the table as possibilities. Yeah. Like some of the best. Yeah. Maybe one of the best uh, scores of the eighties for sure. Yeah. Uh, the movie was the highest grossing movie of 1986. Crazy. <laughs> Worldwide box office of 353.8 million. It made another uh, 473 million in its IMAX re release in 2013. <sighs> and then another half mil in another IMAX re release in 2021 when they were reopening theaters after the pandemic and they didn't Man. have any new movies. So Top Gun made a half mil just because people wanted to see something fun. Oh, man. <laughs> it's just like, it's one of those things, too, where, like, you look at, like, Don Simpson and, like, Bruckheimer, and it's like you go from, like, Beverly Hill Flash from Flashdance to Beverly Hills Cop. You have, like, one, you have that, like, one Stephen Bauer. I think it's, like, Thief of Hearts or whatever. That was kind of a good. I want to see. I do, do want to see. Yes. I have to see it now, too, because yeah. I'm like, yeah. how, how, why is this movie different from the others? And then, um, and Stephen Bauer rules, too. And mm-hmm. then, uh, but then, like, to go from, like, yeah, ostensibly, you know, ignore Theme of Hearts. You're going from Beverly Hills to Top Gun. That's crazy. And then like, the very next year after Top Gun, our movie for next week, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Wow. Hit yeah. hit machines. Just insane. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, Don Simpson probably made a statue of himself from Coke. After, yeah. like, he bought it And then to... snorted it all down. <laughs> yeah. It was like, like a snowman. It just goes away. You got to be okay with that. It's summer is here, Don. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, but the it it it, it and it uh, we should mention um no it has a uh, 58% on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? Uh critical consensus though it features some of the most memorable and electrifying aerial footage shot with an expert eye for action. Top Gun offers too little for non-adolescent viewers to chew on when its characters aren't in the air. Um, Roger Ebert said it had the most electrifying dogfight sequences since Firefox, the Clint Eastwood movie. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. I need to see Firefox. He also gave it two and a half stars. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know how, like, look, I, I understand giving it, like, three out of four. Like, I could get that. But, like, two out of four, like, I think it's just like for me, it's like the cinematography alone, just like the visual, just like the plane footage that that alone is worth price of admission. Well, it's 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 all pure cinema. Basically, it's like Mm -hmm. all just visual story. It's visual to the max overload to your eyes. And we're coming off the 70s. One thing you can argue about Alien is that Alien still has some like 70s new Hollywood residue to it. Mm, The cast helps that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Top Gun, though, is a firmly... Is it? It's one of the key 1980s movies, if not the key 1980s movie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, out there with, you know, Back to the Future. Hundred percent. Yeah. No. Oh. And, you know, Tony Scott. Oh, and you should note, um, any given Sunday's Oliver Stone was not a fan. 
of That's, this movie. Makes perfect sense. Shocking. Shocking. Yeah. Said the film sold the idea that war is clean, war can be won. Nobody in the movie ever mentions that they just started World War Three. Yeah, I mean that is like, true, which yeah, is one hundred percent true. That's the crazy thing about this movie. Like, unless, like, look, I'll be honest. I so I watched this movie at like six in the morning. Woke up because I had to like look. <laughs> texting me about it. Yeah, I was like, woke up really early. It's like you know, because I had to look at a bunch of uh, moving uh, apartments. I had to look at a bunch of different apartments today, so I had to watch this before I did that. And uh, so maybe I missed it, but like, I'm pretty sure, like, they never say like we're fighting the Soviet Union. That's the interesting thing about both. You know, our friend Richard Brody brought it up with the new one. Yeah. And um it's interesting. We do not know who their opponents are. Yeah. In either one of the movies. It's very and that's a I have a feeling the US military had a great deal to do with that. Hugely. Yeah. And then well in the new one too, it's foreign markets. Oh yeah. No, there's no way you can, you know, say like whatever our the last time I remember that happened is. and it was super controversial was um when Zoolander is charged with killing the Prime Minister of Malaysia. <laughs> and the country of Malaysia banned the film Zoolander. That's so, that's so funny. Come yeah. on, Zoolander. Come on, Malaysia. That's an honor. Well, that's why you have to uh, make up countries now. Yeah. Or, like, yeah. Or you um, pick a country that can't, like, um, fight back against you, a la what happened with the new... Um, What's the remake of the movie? Red, uh, not Red Scare. What's it called? Red Dawn. Red Dawn. Yeah, where they originally it was China. China yeah. like invaded like mainland. They do huge reshoots to yeah. Uh, fix it. Yeah, and make it North as if North Korea could like invade fucking America. No. Just crazy uh, premise to begin with. Now, yeah. Rocket Man, he's not starting Red Dawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris Hemsworth could beat them all. He could beat Chris them Hemsworth, all. He's a big boy. He's a big boy. <laughs> 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 Loved him in Spider-Head. Good movie. Ooh, Spider-Man. Spider. I thought it was Spider-Man. It was Spider-Head. I was confused. <laughs> my style is no Green Goblin. Yeah. Well, oh my God. I Trump love Maverick, I bet. Oh, dude, I gotta yeah. say, yeah. This is his love. movie. This is a Trump movie. Oh, he loves Top Gun. Yeah. Definitely. He, and yeah. he has like, yeah, like in the in the way he has that insane like cut of like uh Bloodsport with only like mm -hmm. the fight scenes or whatever. He has a cut of this movie. He has two cuts of this movie. There's one cut of the movie that's just all the planes, like all oh, the planes. And then he has oh, a the planes. And then he has a cut of the movie that's definitely just all the weird singing scenes. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz like, yeah, yeah, cuz he's into it. He he believes that's a rad pickup move. <laughs> I wish too. I could sing with my friends. <laughs> I brought Don Jr. He cannot sing. Yeah. <laughs> Righteous brothers great band one of the greatest where would it folks bring it back to righteous brothers yeah jerry lewis good music terrible choices terrible life choices terrible life choices <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we're both crazy now oh this is a long one this is like these movies are like there's a lot like we're i can't believe we this morning we were like we don't have to talk about it. everybody's talked about these movies well we haven't <laughs> no it's because it's like they're fun and talking about these movies makes me happy yes <laughs> like, yeah I, I mean that's a great way of putting it but yeah. it, these are a good time like and it's you know you could pick like if you're tony scott after you make top gun you're like and I have a feeling there was probably um, a battle for um, who takes credit, who was the mastermind of Top Gun. Right. Like Don Simpson's probably telling people, it all came from me. 
you know. Yeah. And Jerry Bruckheimer a little more quietly saying it all came from me. And then Jer Jeffrey Katzenberg is telling people, "Oh, I had faith in it the entire time. I was the one who spearheaded." Yeah, I had like one of the. And then Tom Cruise is telling, "What the what the hell, guys? This movie would not be anything without me." Yeah, <laughs> Anthony Edwards is like talking to John Stamos on the ER set, and it's actually me. It's all that gives it's nothing. Beautiful thing too about Maverick. Apparently, Cruz had Anthony Edwards over to his place before Top Gun Maverick came out to give him a private one-on-one -on -one screening where they could hang out and watch it together. That's cool. I like that. Because, I don't. I mean, in Maverick, it's all about kind of the fact that he still hurts mm -hmm. from losing Goose. And, of course, Miles Teller is Goose Jr. Mm -hmm. in it. And the movie... It wouldn't. That's the thing. I was trying to say one was better than the other. Mm -hmm. Top Gun Maverick needs the shoulders of Tony Scott's Top Gun. Yeah. To be as good as it is. If it had not laid that foundational groundwork, it would have been meaningless. It would have been Jurassic Seven. Yeah, Top Top Gun. Uh, you know, did its thing so Top Gun Maverick could resonate. I mean, Let's... like what's crazy is Top Gun Maverick made you like Miles Teller. Which I never thought was possible. I still like Glenn Powell more. But yeah. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> he almost had that role. He had the he almost I know. had yeah. and I heard that they um they adjusted the script because they like Glenn Powell so much. Oh, but they yeah. were like, he's not Goose Jr. No. Miles Teller's thing. Miles Teller's like a hair goofier. Yeah, and he can pull off that stash and everything like that. And mm -hmm. Glenn Powell's, you know, He's a hunk. he's a hunk. He's yeah, a chunk he's a of a hunk. hunk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, he's got Iceman written Hugely. all over him. Yeah, but but the thing about Val Kilmer, he's so weird and eccentric, even when yeah. he's supposed to be playing like his Batman. He's weird. Yeah, that's everyone... in the same way that Michael Keaton's weird. Like he's a weird Batman. Everyone thinks Val Kilmer is like Army Hammer or like one of the. He's not. He's not that. Like even like I watched Willow with my family mm -hmm. uh, over Christmas break and like. I thought he was so cool in Willow when I was he's, a kid, though. He's a weirdo in Willow. Yeah. He's he's cool, but he's like he. I didn't realize he was watching it. So idiosyncratic. I mean, we talked yeah. about it when we did covered heat. Go watch the Val Doc. That's on Amazon. It's fascinating. Like, I gotta do that. Uh, I have his. I have, I have his memoir oh. <laughs> as well. I but you know, I think the longtime listeners after almost a hundred episodes are aware I'm a big Val head, mm -hmm. um, in general. But he's so good as Iceman and. He matches up so perfectly with Cruz. And in the Valdoc, they actually talk about the rivalries off camera. The guys mm -hmm. kind of like sided up in the same vein. As right. They like Cruz was hanging with Goose. Val was hanging with Slider and the rest of the guys. And it was kind of like when they got on set, there was like competition between them and that kind of thing. Plus, there's just this feeling of like these are young actors who are just like we're all trying to be stars. We're all trying to be the biggest and best. And it's such yeah. a beautiful like time capsule for them. And I have a feeling like all the ego and that kind of thing. That's what another reason why I like Maverick was the ego and all that. It's like this bygones because we're older men who had this wonderful time, this memory. Uh -huh. It's really interesting to me. And no yeah. other movie does it. Like it feels like this is a big stretch, but like link later almost in this kind of like use of time as Man. a tool to see them because it's not like you know and i and it's not depressing yet it's beautiful like i have a i'm worried about indiana jones next year being depressing because he's 
you know, as some people might know, Harrison Ford was born July 13th, 1942. Jesus Christ. I was born July 13th, 1982. So I'm very aware of how old Harrison Ford is because he's exactly 40 years older than I am. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. He's like... Which means my 40th birthday a few weeks ago coincided with his 80th birthday. <laughs> like... He's like the same age as Biden. He's older than Biden. He's older than Joe Biden. Good God, he's older he's than Indiana Peepop. Jones. Yeah. Oh no. Oh, Jack. Although I love it, my my, my dude Boyd Holbrook from uh, Narcos. Ooh. I'm a big fan of. He's in the new Indiana Jones. Yeah. He was, and he's like, he's a beast, man. He's 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 outrunning guys half of his age. He's talking about Harrison Ford in the press recently. I'm like, ooh, if if my if my dude Boyd is uh, talking him up like this, I'm buying it. I'm Boyd buying rules. it. And I yeah, I love him. I think he's great. I'm I a boy. More. I'm a, I'm a fan. Yeah. Oh, he's great in The Predator. He rules in that. Oh, he is good in that. I saw so somebody who was like the New Yorker critic, Bill Eberry, who I like a lot. Oh, yeah, he's fun. He's cool um, guy. He's like, we need to face facts. There has not been a bad Predator movie. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right, my man. I mean, okay. I, did, I, I think the newer one is the weakest one. Uh, the Definitely. one with Lloyd. Oh, the because I love the 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 Adrian Brody one. That I know one. the Adrian Brody one really is pretty good. Predator Two is really good. Yeah, and then Predator One obviously is a masterpiece. I think it just depends on if you are like a Predator purist or if you include AVP in those. I think well, it's the same with Alien. I don't include Alien versus Predator in the Alien series. Totally either. fair. You yeah. know, and I'm thinking I'm thinking the first four, and then the two new ones oh totally yeah that, I think... that that's what i'm talking about when i say i'm a fan of the alien series in the same vein when i'm saying i'm talking about the fan of that i'm a fan of the predator series. oh hell yeah yeah I, god alien... they should have never met stupid yeah very dumb very dumb very i love dumb. um well that's the video of a gamification like that was a video game and then people yeah. thought that that was you know that, that would be fun yeah no 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 yeah. uh the video game's good love that so we should probably let's call it a night we've digressed this was fun though um Next week, probably do it all again. <laughs> all things considered, looking at what we have next week, uh, they follow up. There, this is this week. We'll call this episode breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, next week it's blockbusters. Um, with uh, Ridley Scott makes his at the time maligned, but as of today, perhaps his most beloved movie, Blade Runner. Mm. Meanwhile, Tony Scott has become a house director for Simpson and Bruckheimer. Yeah. And somehow is roped into Beverly Hills Cop 2. I know we have not read the chapters of these books yet, so we will find out about just how Tony Scott got involved with Beverly Hills Cop 2. Kind of in real time with you all next week. Yeah. Oh, I cannot wait for the hijinks to ensue in this book. <laughs> I have already watched Beverly Hills Cop Part 2. Wow. Which I that's that that is this season though, man. Like, it's yeah. Like it's I'm good. like like usually it's like oh man, I gotta want uh, I'll wait till the last minute to watch it. I'm yeah. sitting here like man, I might watch Blade Runner tonight. Hell no? yeah. I want to watch yeah. Blade Runner. I want to watch like all five versions of yeah, Blade no, Runner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean after I finished up Beverly Hills Cop 2, it's like I was all I was thinking about was Martin Brest, Yafet Koto as well from Alien. I was like, I want to do that double of um Beverly Hills Cop 1 and Midnight Run oh, again. Man. God, it's dude, yeah, because Breast is now involved too. Like I, Breast, I, yeah, Breast is returning next week to oh, our conversation. Man. So if you've not 
listen to our Beverly Hills Cop um, Midnight Run episode. Give that a go this week if you're running low on podcasts. Oh, yeah. The Breast Doofers of our life. All those pods are bangers. That was a fun mm-hmm. one, too. But Yeah, this that was one... a really fun one, too. Yeah, but, but, uh, yeah. I was thinking about it before. You... Midnight Run is about as good as movies get. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. For, what it, for the kind of movie it is, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Martin... And that, I was just thinking about the end of it, man. This might be a good way to enter it. It's like, that I'll see you in the next life. Or maybe in the next life thing that Groden says to De Niro. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely <laughs> beautiful. Yes. <laughs> like it almost brings a tear to your eye thinking about it. It's just these this brief moment these guys are brought together and they find respect and love. In spite of the chicanery that uh goes on between them. It's the exact same thing as Iceman and uh Mev. Oh man, yeah. Yeah. But and Joe Black and this. Anthony Hopkins and jo- Joe Black and Anthony Hopkins shaking down <laughs> that guy's fake IRS agents. <laughs> I now think that movie's like I have it in my head. I've like built up that movie to be a classic, even though yeah. I know it's not. It's, but every time I open up our Twitter and see the two of them at the desk with like their arms crossed, like give, giving that guy guff. Who is that like, actor? We like Jake. Um... Oh yeah. Played the sleaze ball. I'll look it up. And never mind. Nobody cares. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we will see y'all next week. This was super fun. We are digging into it now, folks. Uh, Jake Weber. Jake Weber. 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 If you're a listener, Jake, we love you. I apologize, and we love you. We'll see. We'll see you next week, Jake. (laughs) Jingle signing out. Oh, this is uh, wet blanket. Uh, Talk to me, Jingle. (laughs) Oh no, I'm going down. Jingle oh, down. Both die. Into the movie. Bye. J- jingles all the way. <laughs> <laughs>